of breathing mindfully, of inviting our attention over and over just to be here, sitting, breathing, sensing, listening, feeling, thinking. Allowing your attention to be simply present to what's here. Using the support of the breath as an anchor to the present. And meeting whatever's here with kindness, with a friendly attention. So we're allowing and welcoming our experience. Resting in awareness, present to sounds, to sensations, to breath.
Each time you notice the attention has wandered, which is natural, that itself is a moment of mindfulness, recognition. And without judgment, we simply release the thought and resume present moment awareness of sitting, breathing, hearing, meeting what's here with a kind attention. And as we bring the meditation to a close, before we do that, just wanting you to take a moment to reflect on what brings you here today. What was the draw to come and study the inner critic, the judging mind? What was the motivation? What's the hope or the expectation of learning
<clears throat> you're on time opening your eyes. <clears throat> There's a cartoon of looks like the hare who just finished racing the tortoise and a thought bubbled coming up to the hare is I should have done better. Another cartoon, I was looking through my cartoon stash yesterday, which is always fun. There's uh, someone's at a painting class, a drawing class, and drawn a picture of a person, um, my inner critic, so the picture of the critic, and then there's a thought bubble, you drew me all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You can't win. In case you haven't noticed already, this is a no-win strategy with the critic in a certain way. So, um, why don't you just turn to the person next to you, or behind you, and just take 30 seconds each. What brings you here today? What are you, what are you looking to learn? Just turn to the person next to you, introduce yourself, or turn look around you. Maybe it's a group of three. So if you want to wrap that quick chicken. You probably needed 10 minutes, but anyhow, here we are. <laughs> For the sake of time. Um, yeah, Romy, I'm just thinking if we might up the sound a little bit. Yes, I know you were, yeah. So, um, so anybody like to share what, um, what, is that better? What, what, um, Yes, please. What brings you? Unexpected for me. Came up when you mentioned social media. Uh huh. I've been noticing a pattern, and I didn't realize that it had to do with critical mind. But uh, Mm. and that is, I'm kind of looking. Oh, Mike. Yeah. Please use the mic. You're looking for support from social media. I'm looking for support. Friends who 
support me on Facebook or uh -huh. Instagram. And can you can you keep it brief? Sorry, I, I don't want to rush yeah, it's, you. But it's just... kind of a, a way of what do, what do they think of me? Right. And that's I didn't realize, but that's part of the critic. Well, the critic can certainly make use of that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The the. Oh, I only got 13 likes on that one. Yeah. Oh, 50 shares? Wow, that's less than my last one. Oh, I must really be unlikable now, you know. Yeah, no, it's, it's created a whole new plethora of ways to judge and compare and put down and diminish. And yes, definitely, it's a whole new armory of tools the critic has to, to nail us. Yeah, yeah. What else? What brings you here today? Maybe a word or two. You can shout it out if it's just a word. Oh, we have mics. Well, both my friend and I were talking about, you know, habit of sort of comparing ourselves to other people and looking and saying, oh, they have this or that. Like, why don't I have that? Or why am I not at that place? Right. And being self-critical about it. Yeah. So comparing, whether it's through social media or just live. Yeah. And then thinking we should be in a certain place or a certain somewhere and we're not. Yeah. It's always a great line from the critic. You should be further on than where you are. Oh, great. Thanks very much. That's really helpful. I'm not. <laughs> I am where I am. <laughs> Anything else you got to useful to share? Um, I'd like to share something. Yes. Um, when I was talking to my partner, uh, who I didn't know, who I just met, um, what came to my mind was I want to have a kinder critic. I don't mm. think I can eliminate that kind of judging of what I'm about to do or what I've done, but I think I can soften it so that I'm not so harshly critical. But right. critic has a negative connotation to it, but mm -hmm. I think that always when we, we're responsible for our actions to be, so I want sure. to have a reflective kind of critic and a kinder critic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. That's... Good, we'll look at that. I'm not sure if that's possible, but we'll look at that. <laughs> Yes, over there at the back in the stripy show, or, or the gentleman next to you, and then get. Oh, sorry. Okay. I'll let the mic runners decide who's speaking. Yes. Yes, please. Um, oops. I'm interested in um, really getting to know um, the inner critic more as like embracing it, not necessarily pushing it away or changing mm -hmm. it. It's a kind of realization I'm coming to. Is it's part of me. It's mm -hmm. not something I can change. Mm -hmm. It's part of me. Why? It's there for a reason. It's yes. part of the present moment. Yes. And yes. what is it? Can it be transformed? Right. What, what, is, what is it really? What is the aspect of me that is doing, is doing that? Right. Right. So similar, similar reflections about basically changing the, both the relationship to the critic and also can we alter that critical voice so it's not so harsh and, and yeah, yeah. Wherever, the, wherever the mics are, whoever has the mic next. <laughs> yes, Manag sir. Yes. Managing professional perfectionism. Managing professional perfectionism, yeah, our work, definitely a place the critic nails us, yes. Whenever I try to do something new, the inner critic just comes at me full force. Uh -huh. So taking risks and... Right, so that the critic keeps us cautious and, and, and uh, safe, theoretically, but we don't take risks, we don't do the things we want to do. Yeah, yeah. Mike, anybody? Who says this? this keep, oh, yes, sorry. Um, when I find that my inner critic is like calm, like it doesn't, I'm, uh, I'm not critical, 
how do I respond to other people that are critical of me? Mm. Right. Um, so there's the inner critic and then there's the outer critic. Right. Um, so and how, how do I we... respond to that? Or like they, I just tend to isolate myself from those types of people, which is a right. lot of people uh-huh. <laughs> who are critical. Yeah. Well, definitely wise to be discerning about not hanging out with people who are too critical if you can but sometimes they've got a last name and we grew up with them so that's not so easy (laughs) but um, uh, the more that we learn the skills to manage our inner critic we will have the skills to manage the outer critic more yeah yes Mike do you have there's someone the lady with the stripy shirt and there's a lady with the hand down I have a question. Yes, please. Or a comment. So yeah. mine, I, when I was talking to my partner also, I realized that it was, I didn't realize that this is one of the reasons why I came here, but it just dawned on me. Sitting here was, um, he said, managing professional perfectionism. Mm. And I think for me, it's managing parenting per- perfectionism. Mm. Yes, yes. I struggle with. Yes. You're a parent? Yes. How many parents in the room? How many parents managing parenting perfectionism? <laughs> <laughs> Is there any parent not managing that one? <laughs> yes, uh, let's see the mic and then the mic at the front. Um, for me, it's more just making peace with the inner critic mm-hmm. and understanding that um, while the inner critic usually has a negative voice, there might be something to gain from what the inner critic has to say mm-hmm. while managing the negativity of the voice at the same time, mm-hmm. learning how to have a peaceful relationship with it and maybe not take in the negative aspect of the inner critic, but also not so rejecting of the inner critic that I can't see that there might be something positive to offer at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll look at that for sure. Um, We usually know pretty well what the critic has to say. So, um, but anyhow, we'll, we'll look at that. Yes. I think um, it'd also be great to understand, like, um, how to stop replaying old tapes. Yes. Uh, so that you know we can, well, at least for me, can live more in the present instead right. of always just being stuck in like I should have, I, you know, yes. all that. So yes, especially the the critic has is really good at having twenty twenty hindsight, which is a, gives it a very unfair advantage. Yes, at the back, please. I'm interested in how to become friends with my inner critic. Uh-huh. Um, but like playmates, kind of. I, I feel like we're in a, this playground together. We right. just will hang out and be friends. And, right. Um, and my crypt inner critic is quite funny. I'd like to be able to get the joke sometimes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, humor is definitely important, and I, I, I think it's really important to have a, if one can, to have a similarly... Uh, um, humorous relationship with the critic, partly because the critic is what it says is often contradictory, and um, it's it's funny in its farcical nature. You know, it'll tell you to do one thing, and then say, "Why did you do that? You should have done this." <laughs> and do that, and you say, "Why didn't you do that?" Right? So, if we can take a step back, we can find the humor in the craziness of it. Yeah, yeah. So, yes. Um, I've recently become a caretaker for my mother who has dementia and she has no filter about what she says mm. about um, a lot about body image of herself and mm. others mm. and every single thing that comes out of her mouth I think oh my god I was thinking the same thing but I wouldn't say it so those tapes that someone yes. said yes. they're really old yes they are very old and um, 
you know, this is the, the you know, one of the principles of, of Dharma practice and, and neuroplasticity, which is, um, you know, we, you know, we become what we, what we do, what we practice, what we think. Right? So, you know, you and your mother are, you know, products of your conditioning and choices and habits. And, um, and so it's a, probably a very sobering reflection to look at her and to look in the mirror and to see when that habit is unbridled and not worked with, that's the result. And now at 56, I know where it comes from, actually. Right, of course. Yeah, so what a gift, painful as the gift might be. And then you have the choice, oh, do I want to be like that when I'm her age? No way. So... (laughs) (laughs) It's too much energy in your brain that takes up so much time. Yes, it does. Not a lot of room for anybody else. There's a great line from Mother Teresa. There's something about, she says something like... um, uh, uh, I gave up hatred long ago because uh, with hatred I have no time to love anyone. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, so everything everyone said I'm uh, relating to, but it was the perfectionist pieces that mm. rang true for me because I'm a nurse and a caregiver. Mm. I'm not a parent, but um, I feel very drained. <laughs> And my brother died a little while ago, so the inner critic is very critical right now and very judgmental. And so I'd like to find some clarity and be able to be more mindful Yeah. in the job and all the time. Yeah, great, great. I wish you well with that. I'm glad you're all here. Let me take one last comment here from this lady in gray at the front. Um, next to the front, not you. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, you. That's the, th- the third row. <laughs> Everyone in gray is worrying. I know. <laughs> I'm just beginning to notice that uh, my inner critic is 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 a delusional <laughs> because it's everything that doesn't work <laughs> mm-hmm. is the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, uh, I, I'm such a perfectionist that when something goes wrong, I get so am mad at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, it's, it's, this it's a, consciousness is really critical for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a deluded perspective for sure. Well, thank you. I'm sure there's a lot of other reasons why you're here, but that, that gives me a sense of what's in the room, and I'm also feeling the pain in the room. Right? This is a painful life-destroying, heartbreaking uh, malaise that we have. Right? And um, if it wasn't so painful, you wouldn't be spending a whole day here at Spirit Rock devoted to it, right? This is a precious day of your life you're giving up because this is really, really burdensome. Right? And I know that because I have my own critic and I've worked with it for... 30 some years and done some fairly good work with it um, and um, found a lot of freedom from it and it still has its roots and can still arise as the Buddha said latent tendencies which um, um, tendency deep sort of habit streams of the mind can arise at any time given the right conditions so if I mess up in some way or I'm really hurtful to somebody accidentally or otherwise, 
you know, I can guarantee that the critic, some flavor of the critic will arise if I'm late for a meeting, if I forget something. Or, um, so, um, you know, so I've learned over the years both the power and the tenaciousness of it and the insidiousness of it and the importance of coming into a wise relationship with it. Just like anything, we have to come into a wise relationship with ourselves, our bodies, our minds, our heart, our conditioning, our circumstances. Not much of that not necessarily so changeable, but our relationship is the key. So the the Buddha had this phrase um, uh, teaching on the on the second arrow. So the first arrow, he made this, this metaphor, the first arrow um, could be the pain, the, the, uh, the pain of having a body, right? the pain of aging, the pain of getting sick, the pain of heartbreak, the pain of loss, the pain of all kinds of things. The second arrow is the way that we add to that natural experience by blaming, shooting, judging, rejecting, um, you know, like I should be further on in my life than I am. Or I should be over this grief by now. Come on, it's been a year. Get over yourself. Right? Or um, uh, I can't believe you didn't get that job. You know, what was up with you? You messed up the interview. You know, you're so unprepared. Right? So we add these layers of pain on top of what's already a difficult experience. So we want to pay attention to that. Pay attention. To, in the text, it's called, uh, referred to as Mara. And Mara is the, this, this, the force of unconsciousness that runs through every psyche, including the Buddhas, when he was about to attain enlightenment. The voice came to him. He'd been dealing with the, all the various forces of the mind, all the negative forces of mind. And then when he'd sort of mostly seen through those, the last voice, one of the last voices that come was Mara, appeared to him. He tried all different ways to seduce, seduce the, mother, the Buddha away from uh, waking up. And the last voice was, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? To sit on this throne of enlightenment. By what right do you have to sit here and say you can wake up as a, as a human being? And that's a voice that I'm sure you've all heard. Who do you think you are to go to Spirit Rock? Who do you think you are to blah, blah, blah? You know. And that voice is, can be crippling. Because it, it just kind of, it pokes right at the very essence of our goodness as a human being. Challenges that. And the Buddha, because he'd been cultivating a lot of presence and awareness, he said, I see you, Mara. I see this voice of and consciousness. And he touched the earth like this Buddha is doing. And said, the earth is my witness. I have every right to take this seat. So, one of the fundamental orientations of the critic is that, that attack that it's not okay to be who you are. It's not okay for you to take your seat. It's not okay for you to be as you are. 
There's something wrong with you. Something needs fixing. Something's inherently broken. And that's what I refer to in my in the book as um, imposter syndrome. You know, where we feel like a fraud. If if people really found out at work what I was really like, I'd get fired. Or if I'm going for this interview, if they really knew what I was like, I wouldn't get the job. Or if my partner really knew all the the, the secrets and, and, and foibles in my mind, they'd probably leave. About 70% of the population suffer from some version of imposter syndrome. John Steinbeck wrote at the end of his life, I don't know why people read my books, I can't write. You know, and you this Einstein also towards the end of his life said, I think in my life I've been an involuntary swindler. And you know, you can go through the list of, of famous people who have doubted themselves because they're listening to that voice. So this is from A.H. Um, <clears throat> Almas, who's uh, the founder of the Diamond Approach work and someone I've studied with for many, many years. And uh, they, the Diamond Approach school has a particular orientation to working with the inner critic, which is mostly where I've gleaned my uh, understanding about the critic and how to work with it. There are other perspectives, but it's the one I, I, I most relate to. Um, and um, he, this is... Uh, from him he says the problem is not that we want to be happy but that we're going about it in the wrong way which is exactly what the Buddha said was why he started teaching when we really see what we when we, when we really see we're going in the, about it in the wrong way we quit and then life can unfold on its own we cannot make it unfold we, cannot, we can quit our rejection our judgment our intolerance but we will quit these patterns only when we completely and totally see what they're doing that they're hurting us so until we get, really get the pain and the suffering of these patterns, we'll keep doing it. As most of the world will keep doing it because there are many reasons why we feel loyal to the critic. We think we need it to function. I'll talk about that later. We think it's necessary for us to make decisions or to weigh ethical choices. Or if we didn't have a critic, we'd never get our lazy ass out of bed in the morning. Right? Or we'd never clean up the mess of our bedroom or our car or whatever unless we're being whipped into shape. Right? So we hang on to that voice thinking it's necessary to function. Right? Which is not true. So um, <clears throat> I'll talk more later about why we have this pervasive habit um, but I just want to speak a moment to that, which is, <clears throat> you know, at its root, the critic is trying to protect us from vulnerability. It arises when we're vulnerable in some way or other. Right? At work, we're vulnerable. We need, the perfectionist is there because there's a view: if we don't, if we're not, if we're not perfect, we'll get fired. We'll get a bad review. We won't get a raise. We won't get promoted. Whatever. We, uh, it's, it's primarily um, preventing us from uh, vulnerability in social situations. 
uh, when we're feeling, when there's vulnerability around a loss of love, loss of respect, a lot of care, a lot loss of connection, that it's trying in its imperfect way to um, to help us not lose love, because that's what it started from when we were very, very young, and it becomes enshrined in a very deep mental habit. So I'm just going to speak to some of the ways, and some of you spoke to them. The, the, the most common way I would say is perfectionism. Have you ever met a perfect human being? <laughs> right? It's so weird, isn't it? We think, you know, we think there's a way that something should be done perfectly. But as we know, like parenting, like good luck. Right? We, you do what you do, and you do the best you can. Right? Or creating art, or music, or whatever it is you do. There's no such thing as a perfect something. Right? We don't live in a perfect universe. It's a perfectly imperfect universe. So the critic, one of the fundamental uh, principles is it's not okay to make mistakes, which means it's not okay to be human. It's not okay to have foibles. I'm in the middle of um, uh, house renovation and, um, you know, of course the critic has a view, there's a right way to do it, which I didn't go down. I chose to put in an Ikea kitchen which my architect hates and my contractor hates and they don't get along and the house is a mess and it's a disaster and it's been going on for way longer than it should. And my critics got a lot to say about that. (laughs) Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Sometimes I get frozen with indecision because of concern about what the critic's going to say. The critic's going to disapprove. If I put this kitchen in, going to find a problem. If about that kitchen in, it's going to find a problem. Whichever way you go, you're kind of screwed in a certain way. So it reminds us that we're not doing it right. Reminds us that you should have done something different, better, quicker. Right? Always there on our tail, just to, as if thinking that, that we need that to perform, right? If we didn't have that that voice, that whip. And as I mentioned, it has 20-20 hindsight. How much of your time, of, how much of your critic's time is spent judging and ridiculing, shaming, blaming for things you've done? Right? I mean, it's so easy to look back and go, well, I shouldn't have, you know, I was listening to this interview from Dan Harris, who's a ABC, NBC News presenting, he's saying, yeah, I, um, I'm not the best in prognosis. I, uh, I, I bought a lot of stock in Palm Pilot a long time ago. Which <laughs> went, right? It's so easy from, you know, I should have bought this stock. I should have sent my child to that school. I should have chosen this person, not that person. I should have, who knows what, right? Who knows? We do the best we can in the moment and we have to trust that that we do the best we can with the information and the resources and the skills we have at the moment. But that's not enough for the critic. We should do better, it should be perfect. Well, that's not how this reality works. And the critic can take multiple sides, so it can be hard to actually work with the critic. It will tell you to... um, 
you know, to rest more because, you know, people keep telling you push too hard. So you sleep in one morning, you take a rest, and then you wake up at nine o'clock and it nails you for being a slob and lazy and not having exercise in the morning. Right? I mean, really, it does that. You know, oh, go on, have a strawberry cream tart. You know you like him. It's, you know, you've got to be nice to yourself. They talk about that at Spirit Rock. Be nice, be kind. And it's like, I can't believe you ate that. It's disgusting. And then, of course, it follows us around, right? You come to Spirit Rock, suddenly you're not mindful enough. You're not spiritual enough. You're not compassionate enough. You go to work and you're not smart enough. And you go to the gym and you're not fit enough. And you go to a salon, you're not cute enough. And you go to church and you're not holy enough. And, you know, just, just it's relentless. Right? The, the, the content changes, but the orientation is, is different. I mean, it really has that fundamental orientation that whatever you are, whatever you're doing is not enough. Not good enough, quick enough, not smart enough, not wealthy enough kind enough right? and just think about the ways that that manifests I tell this story I was working at a hedge fund as a consultant some years ago teaching them mindfulness helping them to try and stop stressing out so much and um, this was before the crash <clears throat> so they were on a bit of a heyday and they were making all these silly successful trades and um, they'd made a lot of money this particular day I went in at the end, end of a series of trading and this the, the trader that I was working with had made tens of millions of dollars for the company with this particular trade and I saw him in the afternoon he was in and I thought he was going to be really happy and look full sort of full of himself and he was looking quite stressed and I said what's going on what's you know, I had you had a great day today he said well yeah it was good but you know if I just held on a few more hours it would have been a little more if I just bought earlier it would have been more right? it's never enough Rockefeller was asked, how much money is enough? One more dollar. One more dollar, it's never enough. And then parenting, as we've talked about, this is from Annie Lamott, speaking speaking very empathically and compassionately about parenting. She says, I'm probably just as good a mother as the next repressed, obsessive, compulsive paranoiac. (laughs) Right? Hard task. So you might ask, why do we do this? So uh, I'd like to hear, what are your names for the critic? Anybody like to, what, what do you call that internal voice that's nagging? And, yes? Protector. Protector. Okay. Yeah, protector. Right. What else? Yes? Self-abuser. Self-abuser. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else? Yes? Play it safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keeps us safe. Yes? The judge. The judge, yeah. Call it what it is. The judge. I used to dress my judge up in a wig. You know, those English gray wigs. Bad, bad. <laughs> yeah, was that? Yes? Sometimes it's the officer. The officer, yeah. I haven't heard that one. That's good. The officer, yeah. Sergeant major. Yeah, drill sergeant. Yeah. Dad. Dad. Yes, dad. Usually I hear mom also when I do this. Dad, yes. Is it like the self or the ego? The self or the ego, uh-huh, yeah. Any other words? So my favorite was the itty-bitty shitty committee. 
Itty bitty shitty committee. As in, it's, you know, as I talk about in the book, it's a boardroom, right? It's, it's a whole committee, right? It's not just one. It's like, it's like the, the financial controller and the, the taskmaster and the bully and, um, you know, the keep fit coach and, the, you know, just all of its domains of interest. Let's ho- hold a question if it's, not, if it's a question. Ho- hold the question if that's a question. Um, so a uh, few more words uh, let me see what I have here the underminer the molder the guilt tripper the inner controller the destroyer the underminer is one word I like um, but this, you know, what I like, why the reason I ask for those words is we get different, we hear different facets of the critic, right? There's different dimensions, right? From protector to the abuser. Right? There's, a, there's a quite a range of things. Um, and also depends on how we relate to it. You know, we might relate to it as ourselves. Or we might relate to it as some quite foreign voice. So, cartoon for you, because it's good to laugh. So this is uh, one of my favorite cartoon strips called Rhymes with Orange, and it's the checklist of feeling pathetic, which is really, it's kind of like the inner critic's checklist, kind of. Choose somebody and compare yourself unfavorably to them. Somebody was mentioning that over there. Examine your face closely in the mirror and notice all the flaws. I've just been staying, uh, traveling in hotels, and they always have these massive magnification mirrors which are just a complete setup for misery because you just look at your face and it's like a crater you thought you were looking all right and then you see like a million more wrinkles and stuff you didn't see get rid of them terrible idea <clears throat> relive embarrassing and awful moments that occurred years ago right how often we do that? that's a popular meditation pastime bring up some event where you hurt somebody Ooh, that's going to feel good um, make a mental note of all the people you regularly disappoint. And this is a great thing to do around holiday time because um, you didn't go, you know, you went to the other family or something, you know. Or you did go <laughs> and that was still disappointing. <laughs> Disregard all compliments, especially from people who supposedly love you. And there's a compliment, there's a woman getting a compliment, hey, you look great. And she's saying, don't patronize me. And lastly, resign yourself to believing that from now on, this is how you'll always feel. Right? We tend to catastrophize and extrapolate the moment and feel extra burdened. Wow, what a joy. We were in for a fun day. <laughs> you know, I try to bring in a lot of humor because it's actually very painful. You know, I can feel myself tearing up sometimes when I'm hearing people reporting. It's like, oh, just the, I can feel it myself. Like, the, it's brutal. The, the critic is, can be brutalizing. And we need, just in the same way that if, just imagine someone was talking to you like you talk to yourself. Right? Like, say your friend showed up and then came in the morning like, wow, your kitchen's really a mess. God, you haven't cleaned the sink for days. Oh, and your bedroom's kind of sloppy too. Oh, you've got that much crap on your desktop? Really? You really like, you function like well like that? 
I mean, how long would you put it up with it for? You'd just say, wait a minute, like, excuse me, not helpful, not kind, I didn't ask for that. And you're supposed to be my friend supporting me, not pointing out the places I'm already struggling, thank you very much. Right? I mean, you would literally take a sentence or two, hopefully, and you go, whoa, whoa, back off. This is feeling harsh, critical, mean, not helpful, not kind. But we don't do that with ourselves. We let that voice go on and on and on and on. And the sad thing is, we listen to it and we believe it. Right? This, is, this, is, this is the piece around relationship. We listen to it and we believe it. We believe it's true. We believe it's objective. We believe we need it. Right? And these are really good things to look at today. Is this voice true? Is it objective? Do I believe it? Do I listen to it? Do I give it the time of day? Would you give that person the time of day if they were saying that to you all day? Probably not. So I'd like us to do... Uh, so m- Much of the day is going to be uh, some experiential practices because I want you to leave with some tools as well as some reflections about the the sort of the theory and 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 the you know sort of the Dharma perspective around the critic. I also want you to leave with some tools and practices. And you know, for those that are interested, I I do recommend my book because what I, a lot of what I'm a lot of what I'm sharing is in the book, but I also a lot much 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 more. And there's about I don't know. 20 some practices there's 40 meditations I think in there 30 meditations around working with a critic so you know this is a this is a long term play this isn't a quick you know weekend workshop fix and you're done I wish it was I wish there was a pill but there isn't you know if you know the critic has been in, in you for you know anywhere from you know 20 to who knows 50 years right so, if that's the case, it's not going to disappear tomorrow. But, we can, we, can pref- we can find ways to radically diminish its influence through practice. And that doesn't need to take such a long period of time. So, we'll do some experiential practices, we'll do some uh, heart meditations on love and compassion, um, we'll do some active uh, working with how to work with the critic live, real time. Um, we'll have time for questions. And um, yeah, that's roughly the lay of the land. So um, what I'm going to uh, have you do now is um, uh, if you have journals, great. If you don't, we have, if I can get the volunteers to, we have paper and pens. And the exercise is I'm going to have you all write out um, a list of your top five to ten judgments. What are are the five to ten things you most commonly say to yourself? 
Right? Might be short, like you're stupid. You don't know anything. You're unlovable. You're never going to get your shit together. It might be might be more complex statement. So paper and pens at the back. If you need one, please grab one. And then um, begin writing your list. Top five to ten judgments. You might find that you have maybe only one, you can only pull up one or two. Or maybe you find you have 35. Okay. And as you're writing these judgments out, just notice how you're feeling. What do you feel when you uh, name them? Put them in words, onto paper.
Notice if you're judging your judgments. <laughs> Notice if you're worried that your neighbor sees your judgments or is judging your judgments. Your list is too long or it's too short or too something. Maybe you're judging your handwriting since we don't handwrite very often anymore. Oh, wow, that's a bit sloppy, a bit messy. Yes, for sure. If the, if, 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 the, if, the, if the word should is in there, it's a judgment. For the most part. Notice if you can be surprised by what you write or just thoroughly bored. misery for one morning (laughs) so just take a moment to read read the judgments and notice what happens when you read them because when when we're listening to the murky voices in our head right often we're not we don't bring such a quality of discernment right it's just they're just sort of bumbling around these sort of thoughts about not being good enough but when we read when we read the written word we tend to bring a more discerning quality because that's our training. Our education training is, is to read and being a cri- more critical eye, like as if you're reading a newspaper and you're, you're analyzing and whether you're agreeing or disagreeing. And so just read your, your, your list with, a, with that critical discerning eye and just notice what happens when you read that more objectively rather than this sort of cloudy uh, voice in your head. Notice what comes, what you feel, what what you notice when you're reading.
Anybody like to shout out just in a word or two? What are you feeling as you do this exercise? You're writing them out, you're reading them, just in one or two words. Pain, Pain, exhausted, sadness, accurate, so believing it. Uh, Mean, feeling the meanness, yeah. Humorous. Humorous. Heavy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Harsh. Yeah. Right. Right. Imagine someone saying that stuff to you. Right? That you it would be very, very hard to receive, right? That level of judgment from somebody. Okay. So um we're going to use this list uh, through the day uh, as, a, as a support for doing some work with the judgments. And um, so one piece of work that I like to do um, is, um, is well, one, one important, so there's, there's, there's foundations, there's a foundational structure of working with the critic. One is, Mindfulness, awareness, it's the fundamental platform. Like without awareness, you don't see it. Without seeing it, it's just going on in the background or the foreground. There's compassion, right? how we relate to that with kindness, which I'll talk about later. And then there's inquiry, right? investigation, like really examining what is this voice? What is it saying? How is it saying it? How do I believe it? How is it impacting me? How do I work with it? Right? These are all critical strategies we need to, to cultivate to learn how to work with them. So, um, so one piece of work that I, that I borrow from the work of Byron Katie um, is her set of questions. When she, uh, She's a spiritual teacher and she um, has these four questions, three or four questions that you can use to question and inquire into your belief systems, or what she would say, your faulty belief systems. And um, so the questions are, now you can write these down. In fact, I'll write them down too. Or maybe a volunteer can write them down. Any, any volunteer got good handwriting? Okay. So the questions are, is it true? That's number one, is it true? Is it true that I'm worthless? Is it true that I'm unlovable? Is it true that, blah, whatever your judgment is, is it true? The second one, um, which is really an iteration of the first, how can I know that it's true? How can I know that it's true? What's the evidence? And the third is... Um, what's the payoff for holding that belief? What do you get from believing that thought? So what's the payoff? What do you get for holding that thought? Well, I feel when my judge is telling me I'm stupid, then I get to feel stupid. When I'm feeling, when my judge tells me I'm unlovable and I believe it, I feel unlovable. Uh, and the fourth is, um, uh, who would I be without that belief or story? Who would I be or how would I feel?
So another way she frames question three is, um, uh, can you think of one good reason for holding on to that belief? You don't have to do that. Okay, so what we're going to do, unless you're all dying for a break, but I think we're going to do this exercise first and then take a break. But of course, take care of your body at any time if you need to use the bathroom or whatever, or stretch. We're going to work in pairs. And we're going to do something very uh, um, um, interesting. Uh, and for some a little risky and for some a little vulnerable is we're going to share our list with another person. And of course, if you absolutely don't want to do this, you're always free not to do these exercises, but you will get a lot of value if you do do them. So what you're going to do is we're going to take turns going through one judgment at a time exploring these questions with the other person in our pair. So, um, so say I was working with Malaya here, uh, and I had my first judgment is, uh, I'm so disorganized, which is one of the things my critic likes to say about me. Um, so I'll say to Malaya, so my first judgment is, uh, I'm so disorganized, and then I'll just work through the question, is it true? Is it true that I'm disorganized? Well, sometimes, yes. How can I know it's true? Well, you know, because sometimes people tell me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the payoff? What, what do I get for holding on to that belief? I, well, the, well the, the payoff is, the better word would be the result or with the consequence. What's the consequence of, of believing I'm a disorganized person is I feel, I feel bad about myself. I feel like, boy, I can't, I, can't, I can't get my shit together. What's up with that? Right. Who would I be without that story? Well, I, I would, it, the more accurate story is sometimes I could be more organized than I am. That's an accurate statement. Sometimes I could be better prepared and more organized than I am, theoretically. So who would I be without that story that I'm disorganized? I'd be, I'd feel a little better about myself. I wouldn't be burdened by that particular negative stream. So is it true that I'm disorganized? Well, that statement actually is untrue. What's true is sometimes uh, I lack organizational skills. That's a true statement, right? So, so you know, as people were pointing to, there's often a grain of truth in the judgment. It's not a good reason for listening to the judgment, but there's usually some, you know, there's usually, it's pointing to some aspect of our experience. Sometimes it's completely fabricated. But um, um, I once hired an organizational consultant because I, I, I have multiple streams of work, complicated life, travel a lot, um, and I'm basically one-man business running five businesses. And I said to her, I said, can you help me streamline, coordinate, how do I synthesize this quite busy, complex life it was a, as a, a kind of a sole proprietor? And we did 50 hours of consulting. She looked at every aspect of my life and my work, and, and she came, and the first thing she said was, you're not disorganized. There are things that you don't attend to that actually don't have much importance to your business that you don't give a lot of weight to. You focus on the things that are in priority. But because my critic is attuned to the thing, the threads that I'm not 
following, it makes us view I'm disorganized, but actually I run a very functional uh, multi-businesses, you know, as, as a sole proprietor, right? That's an accurate perception, right? Do you see the difference in, in the distortion? Right? There's a view that, you know, one of the, one of the principles of the, of the critic, it universalizes a particular, right? Maybe, maybe you don't care about your car, Everything else you're quite meticulous with your car, you don't care about, whatever. It's just a, just a you know, piece of metal on four, four pieces of rubber and gets you around. But the critic hones in on that and says, God, you're such a slob. It universalizes a particular that's not tr- accurate, therefore not true. So, um, so this is the practice, this is one practice where you're basically bringing an inquiry, a critical faculty to these streams of thought that we don't tend to bring that critical faculty to. We tend to accept carte blanche. The critic says it must be true. Well, let's take a look. Let's really, let's really burrow down here and get really precise. There's some interesting neuroscience research coming out about the precision around language and emotion and how important it is to be really clear about our inner experience in that way. Okay, so how this works, so you'll run through the exercise like I did with Malaya. I'll I'll, I'll start with one judgment. I'll go through the four, you know, somewhat quickly. And then then it's Malaya's turn, and she'll say, oh, my my judgment is, you know, I'm so fabulous, and, you know, or something. I don't know what it is. (laughs) And, um, And she'll work through her four questions. And then in my turn. So we just we take a, we take one judgment each, and we go back and forth, listening to each other. And the point of doing this in pairs, you can do this on your own; it's fine. And I suggest you do it at home when you have more time. But when we do it with a partner, I've come to see this over many many years of leading this work, is two things that happen. One is it destigmatizes and deshames the process. When we just say, "Hey, I've got this judgment," quite often the other person will say, "Oh, I got that one too." Oh, do you have this one? Oh, yeah, I got that one too. Right. <laughs> We've, got, we've all got similar judgments, right? Slightly different stories, but basically it's the same stuff. Right? So it's something about de-shaming. And also we're using the supportive presence of another to do our work. When we're left to our own devices, you know, our unconscious habit will be just to check out, space out, think about something else. But when there's somebody there witnessing, we're more likely to do the work. Right? Any questions about that exercise? We'll take 15, 20 minutes and then we'll take a break. Uh, if you need to take a break, you know, if you need a bathroom emergency, please take care of yourselves. But any questions about that practice? Yes, Jim. Should, um, should I pick a particular incident or make, generalize it out to other things as far as my judgment of that? Um, give me an example. Right, right. Should I stay with that, judging that particular thing? You could, yeah, you could, yeah. I mean, I, I would suggest you choose more generalized themes that you're critic, you know, like, I'm hopeless or I'm a loser, or whatever it is, like, rather than a specific incident. You, you can use the same process with the incident at some point, but I wouldn't do it right now. I, I get to the more core beliefs, and these are core beliefs about who we are as a person that we're questioning. Wait, wait, wait for the mic, sorry. So, 
I understand the exercise correctly, one person says the false belief, and then the partner says, is it true? Yes, you, I, I didn't refine that, but yes, that, that is a more effective way. So, so, so Malaya would say her judgment, and then I would say, is it true? And she'd say, blah, 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 and then I'd say, how can you know it's true? Blah, 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 and, she'd, and then I'd say, what's the payoff? Yeah. So there's, there's, it's more of an interactive dialogue. Yeah. Okay, so turn to someone next to you. If you don't have a partner next to you, raise your hand, stand up, look around, and we'll just make sure we, everybody's partnered up. Anybody need a partner? New partner? There's, there's three people here. Would you?
So if you'd like to bring your conversations to a close and then come back to your seats and facing up here, thanking your partner for really good support. And if we can get the mics, mic runners... curious to hear what that was like. How was it to share your innermost secrets that you probably thought was horrifying as a a hand up here at the front? Um, Is there another mic runner? Thank you. And um, yeah, so please, there's a mic coming. I found it really terrifying in some ways, but um, I also found it, um, or I felt like I could put things on the table for discussion Mm -hmm. um, and get some really important and and supportive feedback on the things that I think I should should do and shouldn't do. So, and I and I thought that the questions were really appropriate and helped kind of dig in to the the heart of the matter and um, maybe shed a little bit of light. So I, I got all of that from that exercise. Great, great. A lot to think more about. Good, good. Yes, at the front here. In the... You found it to be terrifying. I hate these kinds of two, thing, two people things. I just hate it. But once I get into it... It's great. Uh-huh. What do it's you know? Great. I, I found out... You hate it and you love it. 
I do. I, um, and I, I learned uh, some new things, both about myself and about my partner and mm-hmm. how it, why we do what we do mm. and how we discern. Uh, I mean, I was the one that said I, uh, I find this uh, critic to be abusive when, in fact, I have made a friend of my critic uh, because it has helped me to make some really good boundaries for myself, but kind of as a friend and not someone who's going to injure me in some way. Mm-hmm. So um, I found great compassion for my partner, and I can see that I have some for myself as well mm-hmm. that I wasn't giving myself credit for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I am grateful for the practice that you gave us because I, one of my big problems is just not looking at things because they're too hard to see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good, good work. Thank you. Yeah, turning towards, you know, not easy. This isn't, you know, this isn't fun stuff, um, but valuable and nice to see that you, you know, touched into compassion and self and other and... Um, <coughs> You know, basically learning a, a skill set, you know, and bring discernment, right? There's, uh, there's, I make the, there's an important distinction between judging and discerning, right? or judging and evaluating, or judging and assessing, or judging and discriminating in the way that we discern difference and, and subtlety. And, right? So we're not throwing out the ability to evaluate and assess and discern, right? we're just looking very carefully at the judging that is a, is a crude form often of those other more subtle cognitive skills. Yes, uh, Mike, yes at the back. Uh, we went three for three, having the exact same things on each uh-huh. other's list, so that there's something powerful about seeing the universality of some of these sort of fears and judgments. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting was both of us uncovered that for holding on to this belief actually was preventing us from getting the thing that we desired most. Mm. It's like, I am not compassionate, therefore I actually can't be compassionate because I'm so wrapped up in this. Right, up in the, wrapped up in the story that you're not, rather than seeing where you are. Yeah, great. Good work. Yeah. Who has the mics? Yes. Um, I was going to say, you know, um, for, for me, the, the judgment is the worst when you stifle it and hold it to yourself. The most stifling when you hold it to yourself and you stew over it, you know, mm-hmm. you just mm-hmm. kind of keep that to yourself and it's the same voice over and over and over again. And whenever I share it out loud, it's always alleviating mm-hmm. and it feels... You know, it's a good start to just be like, yeah, you get over yourself that way. Mm-hmm. Kind of a lot quicker, I think. Right. It's a little more matter of fact when you're sharing it. Right. Um, yeah, more objective. Other people are just kind of stating, yeah, I have, I have these issues too. So mm-hmm. I think vocalizing it is very helpful that way. Yeah. Yeah, and there's something very important about vocalizing, you know, labeling, uh, affect labeling, um, which is... Um, yeah. It, it basically it, it's, it seems to gather more resources in our psyche to hold and navigate something. You know, when we when we when we maybe we feel this rush of something in our body, and we're like, well, oh, I'm feeling really, I don't know, and then we go, oh, grief. Oh, as soon as we have that cloud, it's like, oh, there's more capacity to hold the experience. It's the same with the judge when we got this murky feeling, crappy, blah, foggy, and then. 
oh, I'm really on my case about messing up that last meeting. Oh, that's what's going on. Okay, okay, now I can have something to work with. Yeah, so it gives us resources. Yeah. Yes, Mike, yes. I had a, some difficulty answering the questions because I found a lot of my judgments um, were about others and how I perceive others. Uh-huh. And when we were talking about it, you know, we were trying to figure out, okay, how can I bring it to myself? And, um, you know, cleanliness, inefficiencies, inconveniences, interruptions, like certain things that, that go about my life in that way. And I'm very critical of myself, but then kind of like how you're critical of yourself with your businesses, but then your businesses are actually, you're, you're pretty organized for the most part. So the judgments that I have, I feel that I've worked on on myself, so I end up passing that off externally to others and judging others constantly and being critical of others in, in my marriage, with my students, with, you know, with everything that goes on externally in my life. So mm-hmm. I was having trouble... Is, know, it true? Saying, yes. Is it true? Yes. That's true. I'm right. True. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can't say for someone else. <laughs> How can I know it's true? It's because I'm right. <laughs> What's the payoff? My wife is always telling me that. (laughs) You're not always right. (laughs) Right, right. So that's what I'm, you know, struggling with in that that aspect. Yeah, yeah. So I did, I forgot to mention that this, we're starting with with, with the the self-judgment more so. And this applies more so to stories about ourselves, right? Some of it extrapolates to others. But, you know, especially the how can I know that it's true? How can I know that's true that this person's whatever story I have about them? I don't. It's a story I have, you know, for the most part. Um, so, um, you know, there's a, a chapter in the book called The Swing Door, right? What goes in goes out. What goes out goes in. If we spend a lot of time judging here, when we're around others, we're going to judge them. If we spend a lot of time at work, in our lives, judging others, when we get back home, it's going to land here, right? It goes both ways. Both ways is strengthening the neural pathways of judging, Right? If we want to release and unhook from that pattern, we want to unrelease that judging cycle wherever it's going, outwards, inwards, both, everybody. Um, so, um, yeah, so this, you know, some of those, some of those reflections may work, some of them, but I, I, would, I, would, I would have you do more of the reflection for where you're putting it, where the judgments are going here. Yeah. But I think it's, um, you know, we take such a lot of relish in judging people, right? It's, it's, it's a sort of national pastime to sit around and gossip and judge and put down. And, you know, because we, we get inflated. The ego likes that, a little, you know, superiority. So, um, you know, I, I, would, I, I would invite you to, to, to hold all of those judgments lightly. Is it true this person's a jerk because they are hogging the meeting? Well, that might be taking a lot of time in the meeting, but is it, is it true that they're a jerk? Or what, you know, whatever the story is. So you start questioning the authority of the one who's judging, whichever way it's going. Because right? you want to start, you know, the, just in the same way that in meditation we can be aware of our thoughts and not be so lost in them, that same awareness can be aware of the judging without being caught in it or believing it or, or fueling and strengthening it. Right? You just go, oh, there I'm judging my students again. Oh, now I'm judging my partner. Oh, look at that. Now I'm judging whatever. Okay, judging, 
Is it true? Is this helpful? Is this really the kind of quality that I want to, or the kind of person that I want to be? Does it really actually make me feel a genuine sense of well-being and happiness? Or does it make me feel separate or superior or mm, something, you know? So, good. Thank you. Mike, yes? I think what um, I got out of the exercises, well, we both went into the exercise realizing this wasn't going to get resolved today. Right. Um, and it's a practice, which was helpful. Right. Um, I think what kept coming up for me was like how exhausting this is. Mm. And it's literally an extra career that I'm embarking on. Right. Um, judging myself and, yeah. and others. And, and then I just felt like I had a new respect for my inner critic. Mm. Um, I mean, because, I mean, I'm a criminal mastermind under here. Who knew? You like the capacity that I have to, it's just super complex, the mm. capacity that I have to judge and how far down the rabbit hole. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's what I got. It's truly exhausting. Why? Um, and I'm not, it's an extra job I'm not getting paid for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Right, not much promotion prospects. Right, right. Yeah, no, it is, it is. The whole thing is tiring, you know, because it's painful. And it's also tiring because it's not true. And when something's not true, it's also, you know, I think it's, it, it's, it, it's a, when you're going against reality, you know, it's, it's like going against gravity. Um, so, um, yeah, so, so not to be undertaken lightly. And, um, and as we work with it, you know, particularly as we bring in the heart, right? Because the, the, I think one of the depleting parts of the critic is um, because it, it taps into uh, issues around worth and value and self-love, um, that that though the the states that it triggers are very exhausting. Yeah. So um, and it can be very energizing when we can pop a lot of the thought bubbles of the critic and not and, and allow them to dissolve rather than to take root. So so it's it's work and it can and it bring it can bring energy. Particularly when we can cultivate self compassion when we can feel into the painfulness of it, which was, we'll explore that later today, um, I find that that's actually very uh, soothing and nourishing for the nervous system rather than being at war with ourselves, which is by nature depleting. Yeah. Yes? I have a question on that, question on that thought. Sure. So, I mean, there's, and I don't know if we're going to talk about this today, so just tell me to parking lot it if we are, but... You know, there's a lot of creating distance between thoughts like this, and we're getting very close to them. What is your thought on too much of this work versus just creating space from it? Because by sitting down and having a cup of tea of it, I'm, I'm really inviting it into my life maybe more than I would want to. So what's the balance between doing this type of work and also just noticing it as a passing thought? Because I'm thinking about that as we're working through this, and I'm just wondering... Are we going to talk about that? Hmm. Or is that something that you talk about in your book? Mm-hmm. Yeah, both. Um, if, 
if, you, if it arises as a thought and you can go, ah, whatever, and let it go, do that. Of course, every time. Hmm. I'm a piece of shit. Okay, that's great. Thanks. <laughs> whatever. Oh, it's beautiful winter day today. Oh, I'm late for lunch. Okay, well, let me go. Right? Um, you know, that, that, you know, if we can do that, great. If it comes up, oh, there's the judge. Hi, good morning. You're on my case again. Have a nice day. Of course, that's the easiest, lightest, non-effortful, less draining approach. And if you have access to that, great, do it. A lot of these tools are when that doesn't work. You know, and it might be nice to say, "Oh yes, and it's, you know, I'm hopeless and worthless." And oh god, <laughs> right? That's when we like, okay, I got to do some work with this one, right? So, um, yeah. So you know, I think with anything, we, we're doing the, the the sort of the minimum expenditure possible to to find ease, but sometimes it takes a lot of work, you know. So that's when you do a little more heavy, heavy duty inquiry, or you know, all the different practices that I'm going to share. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's a good reflection. Yes, hands. Yes. Um, yeah, my question kind of follows on from that a little bit. Um, it was interesting doing this with with my wife, who knows me well, and so one of the ones I, that I came up with, you know, is it true? Yeah, it's true, and she agreed. Yes, it's true. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I am a little uh, busted there. With the, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I am bossy and controlling. Okay, and then she was, then she kind of a little feeble. Well, you know, not so bossy and controlling as a lot of people are. You know, <laughs> maybe it's more you'd like to be really super organized. So that then, so the reason I, the question I have about it is, it's kind of back to the question I asked before: is what it actually what is the inner critic? What you know, be, you know, embracing the inner critic, getting close to it. What? Is it really showing us, like you said before, there's some truth in it? And so is sometimes, it, sometimes. does it have a function of pointing us in the right direction towards a deeper understanding of who we really are? Or is it something to be looked at as, as the enemy and push it, out, you know, push it away and get rid of it? Right. Well, you just those two perspectives are the two primary orientations to the critic. And I'll talk about that. Uh, actually, after the break, um, one is that it's fundamentally, um, basically, abusive and attacking our worth and well-being, and is to be and is to be really worked with very uh, constructively. And the second is it's a misguided ally trying to help us, but by doing so, actually making us feel worse about the thing it's trying to help us. Right? You know, and in a way, both are true. Um, and I sort of use both. Uh, methodologies. It was, it was interesting getting to read here on the, this morning about um, why people are here, and I noticed the tone of why people are here has changed because the understanding, particularly the, with with um, uh, there's like in, in psychology, internal family systems is a good example where where we're learning to understand that our, um, you know we're made up of, of a lot of different voices or subpersonalities or you know whatever you call them that they're all trying to in their own way. Uh, help us, right? And the critic is one voice amongst many. Um, and that's true to some degree. And the problem with the, the critic work, the problem with the judge, is it's not just saying, oh, you know, you're a little bossy, or, you know, you're disorganized, or, um, you know, you messed up that meeting. It's, you're bossy, and therefore, 
therefore you're a bad person. Therefore you're not lovable. Therefore you're worthless. Therefore you're stupid. Therefore, you know, get a life. Right? So it, the, 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 the statement might be in the ballpark of accuracy. The delivery is usually unquestionably unhelpful. The, the, the root it's pointing to is fundamentally destructive, which is you're a bad, unworthy person and un, 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 unlovable. Because right? that's the fundamental root from which it arose, which is it rose from our early life. We came into this world as a vulnerable human being into family systems and, and social systems and religious systems where there's clearly a right way to be. And as a young being, you have to fit into that system or you lose love, you lose affection, you lose care. You could die from lack of affection. Right? So you better figure out how to fit into this system. Right? And the way that our psyche learns to do that is we shame ourselves. Right? The superego, as Freud called it. Right? This, this part of the ego structure that navigates the wilder parts of us that, that we have to rein in in order to fit in and optimize love. So, um, kind of going on to my talk, but so that it's a, so we, the mechanism is shame. Right? Shame makes us feel bad, fundamentally bad, because and it's such a powerful force. Right? So the the problem with the the critic and the, and its delivery is it all goes back to this common source of worthlessness that is, you know, painful. Very painful, right? and we're all defending against that at the same time. Right? So, um, yeah. So, um, yeah. I didn't write a book about this for nothing. <laughs> there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, um, yeah. The, the what we need to understand is the judgment, as benign as it might seem, like, oh, you know, God, we should clean up your kitchen, you know, or whatever, has a thread, has a tail that's going down to, because your kitchen's a mess, because you messed up the meeting, you're stupid, or you're unlovable, or whatever your core, the wounding is, right? That's why it's so painful. That's why it's so draining. That's why it's so destructive. So, the statements might not be such a big deal, but their impact on what they're implying about your value, that's what we're, that's what we're wanting to look at. Because it's not true. Right? Get off my soapbox now. <laughs> yes. um, I realized through the practice um, that we did that my question, my answers to three and four were a common thread. And then while I was kind of sitting here processing it, I realized something even past that. But what it came to was, um, what's the consequence of, of this belief? And it's another belief that with this criticism of myself, that that will stop me from being worse that that would stop me right. from getting even more selfish or getting right. even more right. whatever the negative thing is and that yes. the answer to four, who would I be without it, is even worse. And <laughs> the idea that without my inner critic, it would go all Lord of the Flies in here. Yes. Yes. And then I realized that, 
that the deeper belief under all of those other beliefs is that I am fundamentally bad. And that without that inner critic, I would devolve into the, a horrible human being. Right. And that I, I'm afraid to let go of the critic because right. what kind of a, pardon the language, shitty person would I become right. if I wasn't beating myself up? So, yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> so how does that feel? Um, I'm not feeling any better yet. <laughs> I realize that there's, there's this belief of an inner darkness. Right. That it's not just these, these little things that I'm judging myself on are just the things that pop up to show me what I really am. That these aren't the things, that they're the evidence of the deeper flaw. And that if I wasn't constantly beating myself up and pushing myself to be better, if I just, I've been struggling with this idea of self-acceptance, and I worry if I accept myself too much that I'll just be a bad person. That my inner critic is the only thing keeping me from being a terrible human being. Right. Yeah. So feel the pain of that. Because it it hurts, right? Believing that whole complex is painful. And it's also terrifying because you live with terror that that's true and you live with terror that that's going to be revealed and we look to the critic as the savior which is actually the very thing that's keeping the whole pattern locked in place. That's the pain. And we're all doing it. We're all, the ego is terrified of that fundamental place of worthlessness, of unlovability, of um, badness, just being bad. Because right? what does being bad means? It means losing love, right? which is death for, for, for an infant, right? or close to, you know. So the, what, what, what gets convoluted in that system, you know, it's a bit like the prison guard. We're thinking the prison guard is going to help us set us free, but they actually keep us confined, Right? Because we don't address the fundamental belief or construct underneath that whole network. So, um, you know, the critic, you could say, I'm trying to unpack this for you, the critic is trying, and this is what I was saying earlier, the critic is trying to protect us from the vulnerability of losing love. And, but within the critic's construct is you're fundamentally bad and therefore the critic needs to help you from, from anybody else seeing that because if they see that it will be proven right that you will be rejected. Right? But we've got to go underneath that and go is it true that I'm fundamentally bad? Is it true that I'm fundamentally unlovable? Right? That is not true. It's not true. 
but we have but we have to unpack that whole you know you've lived with that construct very complex web to protect you from that you know primary wound of vulnerability that we don't know if we're lovable we don't know if we're okay we don't know if we're a good person right and that's where you know the you know the, the, the subtitle of my book how mindfulness and compassion can help free you from the critic we need the heart we need love to meet and feel the pain the wound and to also love that part of us that is usually very young very old that feels unlovable feels unworthy feels vulnerable feels uh, unprotected right that's the that's the deeper work right the the critic work the judging that's the surface right very important because it all leads down to this this well of of pain and for some of you, I imagine some of you will be relating to this. Some of you might not be resonating with this. Uh, but this is the layers. Right? This is why, there's a reason why the critic is so strong and so enduring and so tenacious. Right? It's protecting these early wounds that we're not enough. That we're not okay, that we're not lovable, that we're bad. Right? You know, I grew up as a Catholic, a Roman Catholic in England, you know, I was a very open and, and sensitive kid and I loved the church and, you know, and, you know, the, the, one of the teachings of the church is you're born with original sin, you're fundamentally flawed as you come in. You, you know, there's a, the prayers of being a worthless worm. Right? That is heavy conditioning. Right? It's not the only conditioning we receive. I'm not saying Catholicism is bad, it's got a lot of beautiful things. But, some of these messages, these imprintings, have their effect on the soul. And we learn from our parents and our grandparents and our family systems. We inherit their worthlessness. We inherit their shame, their inability to love themselves. Right? The, the, the suffering, the judging is intergenerational. So, um, yeah. So thank you for speaking to that. You know, the, it, unless we get to the pain body here, we're doing a lot of mental gymnastics. And it's okay to do mental gymnastics because it helps. But we've got to go to deeper layers. You know? Which is why, uh, well, we'll do some work this afternoon around um, you know, being, being uh, self-protective around the critic. Because the, the way this habit of the critic keeps opening that wound of worthlessness, hopelessness, unlovability, which is fundamentally disabling you know, on some level. Right? Until we can learn to love ourselves, learn to love that vulnerability, that young one, that the, the scars, the... Um, then uh, the critic's going to have more of a upper hand. Okay, so um, do you guys need a break? Need a, yes. Okay, let's take a. 
I'm going to suggest we stay in silence because we're, we're, we're touching into some deeper layers here. So um, I'd ask you that we do this break in silence. Go use the bathroom, get tea, stretch, whatever. We'll come back in 10 minutes. We'll come back at 5 to 12 and we'll do a little work around self-compassion. And I'll, I'll stay up here. If you, I know some of you raised your hands and had questions. So if you have questions, I'll, I can stay here and answer them.
Okay, uh, welcome back. So I want to talk a little about the function of the critic, why we have it, if it seems so painful and and destructive and um, inaccurate. Why would we have, you know, in nature there's nothing that's really redundant. Why would we have this mechanism that is uh, so challenging for us? So, um, first a cartoon. This is um, from the New Yorker. Um, and there's a mother and son. Uh, this is, she's putting her son to bed. And uh, he's obviously said something like, you know, I don't know, something like, do you love me unconditionally, mom? And she says, heavens no, sweetie. My love for you has tons of conditions. So this is from Freud, who I don't normally quote in Dharma talks, but here we are. Um, for Freud, the installation of the superego, or the inner critic, can be described as a successful instance of identification with the parental agency. As development proceeds, the superego takes on the influence of those who have stepped into the place of parents, educators, teachers, and people chosen as ideal models. The superego can be thought of as a type of conscience that punishes misbehavior with feelings of guilt, or I would say shame. The superego strives to act in a socially appropriate manner, whereas the the id, the instinctual forces, simply want self-gratification. The superego controls our sense of right and wrong and guilt. It helps us to fit into society by getting us to act in socially acceptable ways. So... You know, as you, if you, when you start to pay attention to the judgments, you might be able to trace some of the roots. And one interesting practice is to um, see if you can hear whose voice it is. You know, sometimes it's very clear, oh, that's dad, that's mom, that's the church, that's my high school teacher, that's my best friend who rejected me, that's, you know, and you can unpack it a little bit. You know, going back to what we talked about uh, just before the break, um, the the superego, the critic, is 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 in its misguided efforts trying to protect us from that vulnerability of messing up, of being rejected, of not being loved or liked, but has a very uh, faulty mechanism for delivering that and helping us with that, and because it's. Got, in, got embedded into our, into our brain and our way of operating so early that we become very loyal and attached to it. We believe the voice. It's, it's just part of the furniture. It's the voice of conscience sometimes. It's the voice of moral authority. It's the voice of right, wrong. And we believe we need to look to that to navigate the complexities of life. Okay? But we have... M- many other more subtle and evolved and sophisticated mechanisms like conscience, like presence, like compassion, like inquiry, like discernment, you know, many other qualities that we can use to navigate some of life's challenges. So I want to broaden the um, sense or understanding of the critic and you know, mostly it's verbal. Right? We hear the thoughts, the stories, 
the ideas, the views, right, which you've been exploring this morning. After some time, those thoughts become embedded in the body. We feel it energetically. Right? So I'm a writer. I'm often at home writing, and I enjoy writing. I write poetry, I write prose. And I love when I have a few hours to write. And sometimes I get to my desk, and I'm all excited writing. And then suddenly I feel really tired all of a sudden. And I start to feel kind of foggy and, and kind of blah. And I'm kind of like, oh, this is crap. I don't know why I'm bothering. Who cares? But I'm, I'm not actually, those words aren't coming. I'm just, feel, I'm just feeling that. And then I have to ask myself, if the critic was here, what would it be saying? Oh, it'd be saying, you can't write. It'd be saying, who cares about what you have to say? It'd be saying, you know, nobody read your last book, blah, blah, blah. Right? Okay, that's what's going on. And, and so, but it, it, when, it, when it goes beneath the conscious level, it can be energetic, the sense of feeling worthless, hopeless, crappy. It can be physical, lethargy, lethargy uh, tiredness, brain fog. Um, so, uh, you know, just to notice these different levels. And, and when, you, when you're caught in one of these sort of, what I call sort of, critic malaises you might ask yourself what would the critic be saying here you know maybe you've just given a presentation at work or something and you're kind of going to lunch and you're just kind of like I hate life it's crap and you ask yourself well what, what's more be like, what's my critic saying here if I'm not catching it oh it's saying I, I could have done better I messed up I'm you know disappointed people or something or I could be rejected or So and then also just to, to, as I was speaking earlier to to, to feel the to sense the layering right the layering is the thoughts but the thoughts and someone was speaking to me in the break you know you, one of the questions you could add to this or a different set of questions is what is the implication of that story right? you know so maybe your judgment is um, someone give me a judgment I'm tired of my own give me a judgment selfish, selfish. you're so selfish. So you might ask the question, what's the implication of of hearing that and believing that? Well, the implication is, well, selfish people are bad people. You know, or it's wrong. You know, or I should be more involved than that, right? right? So to notice what gets evoked with the judgment, what gets implied. Right? It's never just a face value statement. Like you could have done, you could you could have done better at work today. There's always an implication of what that means about you as a person, about your value and your fundamental worth as a human being. And that's why the critic is is so powerful. Because it attacks us in a place of vulnerability because so often most of us have a question about our fundamental goodness or our worth or value. And the critic's always sort of hovering to remind us, you know, you mess up one more time, it's really proof. So, and I also just want to plant the seed that as, as hard as it might be to look at this stuff, that when you bring the quality of mindfulness, of kindness, of investigation to these things, you have a lot of great 
skills innately within you to work with it. One of the reasons that the critic is so rampant and rife is that we've often never turned to look at it and examine it and question it and face it and really inquire into whether it's useful, truthful, etc. So I've done work with lots of students and clients over the years and I've seen people make phenomenal shifts with their critic partly because they'd never really, especially if people haven't meditated and hadn't really looked at their own mind and their own thoughts from that more objective perspective, when we do that and we start seeing all this diatribe of negativity, we have some power to disengage. It's what mindfulness does. It allows us to disengage from being caught in our mental stuff. We see, oh, it's just thought. I remember teaching a retreat here up the hill and um, was working with an actor who was in some professions. Uh, he was a theater director, actually, but also an actor. And some professions l- lend themselves more to judgment because there's outer judges. You know, you get the theater critics and the art critics and the music critics. And so you, that, that and, it's very, and there's a whole culture of criticism, like in the, classic, in the classical music world, highly critical culture of each other. And so, so, that, so, the, so the critic is fed. And so he was on this retreat, and of course the, the, the critic had followed him into the meditation, and he was giving him a hard time about his meditation, his concentration, how useless a meditator he was, and just like his work, not good enough, and blah, blah, blah. And he's walking down the hill, and he's bombarded, and you know, feeling stressed and, and, and victimized. And he has this moment of mindfulness where he, he has this aha moment, and he sees, wait a minute, this is just a bunch of thoughts. It's just a bunch of words that has no more reality than the sky is blue and the grass is green. It's just concepts. It's just views. It's ideas. It's thoughts of which there are tens of thousands every day in my head. Why do I focus on these few particular lines? It's very liberating when we take a step back and go, oh, that's the critic Thank you. I know you're trying to help me. I know you care. You're trying to help me from feeling pain. But thanks, I'm okay. We got this one. We're okay. Right? So there's a meaning of it. There's a seeing of it. It's like the Buddha said, I see you, Mara. There's a disengagement. There's a little space. It still might, its hook might still land in you and you still might feel the heaviness or the sadness or the you might, you might collapse in believing, yeah, I really am a bad person because I you know, let someone down. Right? But we have much more opportunity to, to catch the thought, just like in any meditation, and not let it burrow down and take root. So that's the, the power of mindfulness practice that recognizes, can see, can disengage. Um, and then the, the kindness practice is a way of um, meeting the painfulness of that whole scenario. How we learn to meet ourselves when we're feeling sad or lonely or, or you know um, uh, unworthy after, after the critic after the critic has been you know insulting us in some way. So that's a little bit of you know the why of the of the why, why this is here. So. 
but ultimately, does you know the why? I'm not so interested in the why questions, and and Buddhist teachings in generally general, I'm not so interested in the why. We're interested in how do we work with this? I don't care whether it's been here for five years or fifty years. How do you work with it right now when it's saying? You know, as someone was saying in the break, the great the great example of the critic. You know, the the, the example he gave was um, he had two choices. Uh, to stay home and, and kind of work through his to-do list or come to a workshop on the critic. Okay? And of course, the critic had a lot of views about you know, what he should do. And you can guarantee whichever one he chooses, the critic is going to say, why didn't you do the other one? Right? And when he gets home, why, see, look, to-do, look at the chores. See, they're, they're just mounted because you went to that stupid critic workshop. <laughs> right? But if he'd stayed home and worked on the chores, his critic would have said, why the hell aren't you going to the judgment class? That's, you, you're supposed to be working on yourself. Get on with it, lazy. Right? Hopeless. Right? You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know, it leads to indecision. It leads to procrastination. Because we're afraid of what the critic will say if we do the wrong thing because we believe this idea that there's a right way because the critic believes there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. There's a right and wrong decision, right? You know, there's decisions that may be more kind or more skillful or more effective, right? But we can't know that, or we can know whether it's kind or not for the most part, but we can't know whether, you know, there's no, there's just the strategy that we choose. And then we correct, right? Life is full of correcting. Mindfulness is full of correction. We go off one way, we come back to the middle. Go off the other way, we come back to the middle. So, you know, my, my, my sort of family conditioning, I have a, um, sort of the, the uh, one, one of the themes of my critic is, uh, is a pleasure seeker. Right? So I, I, it's on my case if I'm not having enough fun. Right? And then the other side, the other conditioning, is like get organized and do stuff and take care of business and get on with it and don't fool around. I don't, you know, fritter away the day, right? And, you know, if I go for hiking for the day, you know, the other critic's going to be like, hey, you know, look at the mess in the, you know, wherever. If I spend too much time at my desk, it's like, why aren't you taking care of yourself and going for walks and being a nature person, which you say you are, you know? So, like, thank you, Mr. Critic, very helpful. I'm doing what I need to do doing the best I can. Which is not letting yourself off the hook. It's just like, hey, I'm just doing what I'm doing and then, you know, there's no right way to do this. We didn't get the, we didn't get the operating manual for how to live life, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, so let's do a little practice that uh, starts to uh, weave in a little of the uh, heart and kindness because this whole mess is very painful. And unless we start to also bring some tenderness and kindness and warmth or friendliness or love, acceptance, forgiveness to ourselves, we're just going to be more in the camp, more in the corner of the critic that's continuing to be harsh and pushing and punishing and unforgiving. So for me, the, the, one of the mm, cornerstones of my own work with the critic 
and I see this throughout these last decades, is um, I remember the first time I had this realization, I was, I was, so I got into Buddhism, I was very young, I dropped out of school, moved to this monastery, and was living in the country uh, in England, and um, was very young, very idealistic, and incredibly judgmental of myself, incredibly self-hating, and punishing and cruel and it was just is why I got into searching in the first place because I was so miserable and um, and so I was in this meditation and I'd, I'd been cooking I was a cook at the time and I I don't know what I'd done so I'd done something in the kitchen that I'd messed up so I was in meditation and my critic was just as it can you know when you're just really on your case it's just you know all guns blasting and I was sitting and I was listening to this and uh, something happened where instead of just agreeing with the critic, which I normally did, and yes, I'm messed up and terrible, I, I, I sort of felt my heart, I think I was doing loving kindness practice at the time, and I felt how painful it was to talk to myself like that. I felt, I felt how painful it was to be talked to like that. In the same way, if someone else was hurling that abuse at me, I would be really devastated. I, 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 had, I was able to get enough space from the critic to feel that those judgments coming in and feel the pain and how hard it is on the heart and the, and the body. You know, just like when someone you know judges you, you know, humiliates you in a meeting, or you know, the spouse hurts you in some way. You know, says something really mean. It really it's like a dagger going in. That's what's happening all the time when we're judging ourselves. We just don't notice it. We don't feel it, right? When you call yourself stupid or unlovable or pathetic or a waste of time or a loser or something, right? that's landing in you. It's not innocent. It's not just an idle thought, you know, like these thought bubbles in cartoons that float off, right? Our thought, our mind and our body and our heart, they're all one piece, right? It's, it's landing in our system. So we want to um, notice that and we also want to start um, you know, cultivating a different orientation to ourselves. Right? And I imagine for most of you here, right? so how many people are familiar with the loving kindness, the meta practice we teach here? Okay, so half of you. So the loving kindness practice is a practice that we do to generate kindness and friendliness to ourselves and others. I would bet, if I was a betting man, that for most people here, that you're probably, it's probably not that difficult to, to be friendly and caring towards others. But very difficult to do it to yourself. That would be my guess. For most people. Not everybody, but most people. Because all we've listened to is, you know, we've messed up for, for all these decades. So the meta practice, the loving kindness practice, is a way of uh, wishing ourselves well, basically. Wishing ourselves happiness. So it's using phrases in the same way that the critic uses phrases, but instead of saying, you're hopeless, you know, you're never going to get your life together, you're never going to find love, or whatever the story is, it's, may I be happy? May I be safe and protected from inner and outer harm? May I love myself as I am. May I be healthy and strong. May I be peaceful. So you're thinking about what you genuinely and deeply wish for yourself. 
And then you're, you're saying that to yourself over and over in the same way that your critic says things over and over, except you're supplanting the judgments with kindness, with warmth, with care, with love. And over time, that starts to seep in, you know, like, you know, like the way the, the redwood trees absorb the, the fog and the moisture in the air. You know, it's, it starts to seep in, goes down into the, the, the root. But, it, you know, like anything, it takes practice. Just because you say to yourself a few times, may I be happy and may I love myself, it's not going to suddenly, you know, bloom into... It's boundless self-love. It could, but usually it takes time. But we're learning a tool here, like we're learning many tools, a practice, a principle. The more that I can wish myself fondness and kindness, the more we're interrupting that negative voice. And now what I do suggest is after each time that you hear your judgments, like whatever your judgment is, like you're not good enough, then you add one of these phrases, you're not good enough and may I be happy. But you're just a pathetic meditator and may I be peaceful. But you're never going to get your life together and may I be free of suffering. But look at you, you're just a mess and may I love myself as I am. But look at you, I mean, you're out of shape and you know, it's just, you know, it's a waste of time. May I be happy. Right? So you're just threading these, planting these seeds of kindness warmth, friendliness, and forgiveness. I do the best I can. So, how about we just stand for a moment, we'll just stretch, just sitting for a while, so take a moment to bring some kindness to your body, and if you feel like sitting on a chair because you've been on the floor, please move. And also just pay attention today, like just notice what your critic's up to. Like sometimes the critic disappears, like, oops, I'm gonna be on the spotlight, I better shut up today. <laughs> it kind of just it kind of just checks out somehow. Or it might be like, this is a load of waste of bloody time, money and bossa judging everything in sight, right? Because it might be feeling a little threatened that you're actually looking at it with a little more scrutiny than you might have done ordinarily. Either way, or whatever else in between. Okay, let's sit down together. This is a poem from um, uh, Derek Walcott, who's a a poet, and um, it's 
called Love After Love. It's a well-known poem. In these circles, it's a lovely expression of coming home to ourselves. The time will come when with elation you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread. Give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you have ignored for another and who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror and sit and feast on your life. The time will come when with elation you will greet yourself arriving at your own door, your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. To the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you have ignored for another. So let's sit with that sentiment. So sitting comfortably, sitting upright, so there's ease for the breath. And bring your attention to the center of your chest. You might want to put your hand there, just feel your heart area, which is the middle of your chest where we feel a lot of emotion often. Feel the breath. Feel the, just that gesture of the hand as an expression of kindness to yourself, of self-love. And I want you to bring to mind uh, someone whom you're close to who really appreciates you in some way, values you or loves you, maybe a friend, maybe a spouse, maybe a child grandparent, or teacher, or an animal. Maybe it's your dog who's always happy to see you. And I want you to, from their perspective, imagine or sense into their warm feelings for you, their love for you, or their care for you. See if you can see yourself from their perspective. That they appreciate you or enjoy you. Maybe easier for them to see your gifts or strengths or goodness.
And just notice if, if that's possible to let in that sense of seeing yourself through someone, someone else's eyes who loves you or appreciates you. Cherishes you, sees your good qualities. And allow the possibility that that perspective, how they see you, is maybe may, is maybe way more accurate than your own self perception. The goodness that they see, the smile on their face when they see you, the warmth in their eyes, or the kind gesture. It's because they see and appreciate you and your goodness, your good qualities, your gifts. And I want you to imagine this person or this being wishing you these phrases that express kindness, friendliness. And as they, as you imagine them wishing these wishes for you, that you see if you can let them in. May you be happy and peaceful. May your body be healthy and strong, or as healthy as it's able to be. May you be safe and protected from harm. May you live your life with ease. May you love and accept yourself just as you are. offer these phrases again, imagine them coming from this person to you, said genuinely, may you feel happy and peaceful right now. May you be healthy and strong. May you be safe and protected. 
live with ease. You love and accept yourself just as you are. And just seeing if any of that registers, touches you in any way. Maybe yes, maybe no. And then offering the same wishes for this person. This person that you love or appreciate or respect. Sensing for a moment their goodness, their good qualities. Just as I wish to be happy, may you too feel happy. May you feel healthy and strong. May you be safe and protected. And may you live with ease in your life. Just keeping a strong sense of this person, their image, their felt sense, their goodness. May you feel happy and peaceful. May you be healthy and strong. May you be safe and protected. with ease. Or whatever phrases, whatever you wish for this person. And notice that when the mind wanders, or when you get lost in thought about them, and come back to this simplicity of wishes. Not looking to generate any particular feeling. Just coming back to this power of intention. now turning towards yourself in the same way that we had this person wish these phrases of kindness, sensing your heart again, and as you say these wishes to yourself, imagine them rippling through the body, like a pebble in a pond rippling. May I feel happy and peaceful in this moment. 
May I feel healthy and strong. May I be safe and protected from inner and outer harm, including the harm from my inner critic. with ease in my life. May I love myself just as I am. So you can continue to say these phrases or your own version, your own wishes for yourself, trying to say these words as genuinely as you can, wishing well for yourself. be happy. May I feel healthy. May I be safe. May I live with ease. Learn to accept myself just as I am. And just noticing how it is to offer these words to yourself not looking to generate any particular experience, but just to wish yourself well. So if this is a new practice, many different stages of it, but I would say the, those, the way that we did that would be a fine way to start. You call to mind someone you love or someone you know loves and appreciates you. It's easier to feel the kindness that way first, you know, to, to, to just kindle that sense of warmth. Um, and it's also really helpful practice to really try and imagine how does this person who appreciates me you know, work in my life, how do they see me? You know, maybe that's a more accurate perspective than mine. 
because my lens is so filtered. So, any comments or questions about that? Maybe we can have a mic or two. Yes, hand up here in the front. Or second to the front. Uh, I found the the six R's a very useful method of letting go of of um, negative thoughts <clears throat> uh, and along with doing this which even though I'm doing it <laughs> I'm still you know during my daytime it's as if you know I haven't done anything at all it just keeps coming coming back mm-hmm. um, one thing that uh, has really helped me to even believe that this is possible is uh, Rick Hansen and neuroscience. The fact that they have actually found a place in the brain that is, we'll call it a hole, is a hole of fear. You know, that we are all born with this. Uh, Because we, you know, grew up with the lions and Tigers, and we're all afraid. Right, we have a negative. We have a negativity bias. Yeah, we have a Velcro, you know, towards <clears> negative <throat> negativity. Mm-hmm. That made me really believe that this may be possible. Right. You know that these these uh, that these processes, you know, this this uh, praying prayer and can actually help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Planting seeds, you know, inclining the mind away from negative judgment to kindness. Right? And that's, it takes a long time. Yeah, <laughs> gardening takes a long time. You know, growing a tree takes a long yeah. time. You know, growing a beautiful human being takes a long time. Yeah. It's just the way it is. But we have, you know, what's the option? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And actually, it only takes this moment. In this moment, mm-hmm. am I being cruel or am I being kind? Or am I at least being aware that I'm being cruel so I'm not entrenching the cruelty? Right? It really is only this moment. And yes, of course the habit will come back because it's a habit. And then we bring as much care to this moment as we can, as much skill as we can. Often it's in retrospect we go, wow, it's really hard on myself. Oh, may I just give myself a little slack here? Like, you know, it's hard, whatever it was, a hard conversation. May I be okay? You know, <clears throat> so it's just really moment by moment is also the truth. It's a practice. That's why it's called a practice. Yes. Other questions, comments, challenges. I assume you are all just swimming in universal loving kindness and <laughs> radiating everywhere. Um, my <clears throat> question is kind of about the end goal. Um, in general, I tend to give judgment on things like rating them good or bad or neutral. And so whether or not after becoming aware of our inner critic and working with it, do we shift the thoughts to be more positive all the time? Or is it just that they're not even coming? We're not casting any judgment. We're just kind of 
floating in neutrality. We're definitely not floating in neutrality. Because <laughs> that sounds really not so interesting. Um, yeah, that's definitely not what's happening. What happens over time is... Um, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's like we're... we're um, it's a bit like shift... We're setting a compass bearing in a boat, right? And the boat's going to be knocked around by the waves and storms and currents, right? And they're not going to go away, right? So those habits of mind may not ever go away fully. <clears throat> but we can learn little by little to change the course, right? So, um, there's, you know, there's different ways you could say that freedom... And on any level, but even freedom from the critic happens, right? One is, first we see how caught we are, right? That's one level of freedom, because before that you're just caught. Then you see that you're caught, right? You see the judgment. Then you start seeing it and not being so, believing it, not being so impacted by it. And then you start cultivating the opposite, which is kindness, love, compassion, clarity, right? that helps strengthen that part of our being. Right? And over time, the, the voice of the critic may diminish, be less frequent, less powerful, less impactful. Other qualities of appreciation, of kindness, of appreciating others, of seeing our goodness, of, of, of being able to contact a sense of well-being, uh, genuine self-love starts to grow. Right? So it's a... It's a um, it is like growing a garden, you know, and it's 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 um, it's it's multifaceted. Yeah, yeah, good. Yes, question over here in the corner. <clears throat> and if you hand have a question over here, then there's a mic floating around. Um, so for me, I find myself stuck in the third arrow or the third dagger, I guess, to explain that. Um, I noticed kind of the, just the painful experiences of life itself and then the ways that, the second arrow is, I guess, the ways that we add pain to that and add resistance to that and judge ourselves for it. So I guess what I experience sometimes in meditation is how simple it is to let go of the second arrow because I'll find like what I noticed myself doing was just like following this rabbit hole of rumination and and judgment and then as I kind of follow it for a while and then and then I come to this point where I realize that it's sort of a choice and I'm like oh do I want to keep doing this and then it becomes extraordinarily easy to let it go as soon as I come to that point so I just like it's almost comical I just let it go but then as soon as I let that go I have a few moments of peace but then the third arrow comes in where it's judging me for how easy it is I guess like oh it's so easy to let this go <laughs> so why are you stuck in it and then it, it right. the cycle continues right so I'm wondering if you have any insight for that um, yeah yeah well it's um I mean it's really just more second arrows <laughs> yeah you know and so where, wherever the arrow, wherever and whenever the arrow comes, it's just it's the same process. Like, oh, mm-hmm. right, there I am judging, or I'm judging myself for judging, or judging myself that I haven't got rid of the judgment, or whatever you know, whatever flavor. It's all just it's extra, really. It's it's it. Yeah. And um, the 
the ways of working with it, which I'll, uh, the afternoon is going to be focused more on all these different strategies that I think are useful. So, um, but in the same way that you recognize the second hour of thought, you recognize the third hour. Oh, look at that. Now I'm judging myself for judging or judging myself for not judging or whatever. It's, it's, it's the same, you know, you can do, bring it with awareness, you can let it go, you can laugh, you can ignore it, you can... Different, different approaches. But it's the, same, it's the same process no matter how. You can have 50 hours. It's the same thing. Yeah. Seeing it, recognizing it, releasing it if you can, if not doing some deeper work with it, which I'll talk about this afternoon. Okay. Thank okay. you. Multiple arrows. We're living in an hour shop. Yes, at the back there, the hand. The gray. I, um, I, uh, I found it amazing, like much easier to uh, envision, you know, the, the first part of the exercise, um, other people relating to you, and that strength, um, and that emotional connection I have with their perceptions of me, um, and then when it shifted and it was your perceptions of yourself, just the emotion wasn't, wasn't even half as much. Mm-hmm. Um, which made me realize the relationship I have with myself isn't as strong as the relationship I, you know, project onto others, you know, to perceive myself. Yeah. Um, I mean, just the sheer emotion in there, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could, I could really feel when, you know, listen, you know, envisioning a friend or my mom looking back at me, I could feel that. But then, mm-hmm. you know, it, what's crazy is, you know, you sit there and you... Um, try to evoke it on yourself which you expect to be much stronger right because it's like there is no distance there is no gap you know mm-hmm. like it's just you and your mm-hmm. emotion but yeah it's hard uh, to cultivate that relationship is definitely what opened that up for me so yeah that's why I do it that way yeah. <laughs> you know it's if we just start with you know let's send loving wishes to ourselves like wall frozen numb nothing feeling hot it's hot because you know, we're just not, we haven't developed that muscle unless you have, but most of us haven't. So we need to go in a little more creatively, imaginatively, you know, and 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 whatever helps you feel that or connect with that is what you should do. You know, think of your puppy if you have a puppy, or think of you know your mom, your friend, whoever you get. When you remember being with someone who likes you, appreciates you, it's like oh, they're seeing something that's hard for me to see. But clearly, and if it's replicated, there's good evidence that they're seeing something I just need support to really acknowledge. So, good. Yes, comment here in the front blue shirt. Oh, do we have someone over there? No. We're going to have to wrap up in a second, so, for lunch, yeah. So. Um, I remembered all the parts of the metta exercise that, mm-hmm. except the the one before the last one. The last one was, may I accept myself just as I am. But the one before that, I can't recall. Uh, well, I, it, the, I mean, it's arbitrary, but there's, um, the one before that was, may I live with ease. Ease, that's... Yeah. yeah. It's just pointing to, may my life be free of stress. May I have ease. You know, life is so complex and challenging at times. May I have ease. You know, basically those phrases cover the generalities of experience. Mental happiness physical happiness, safety, and, and, and just life ease, right? But, but you know, 
tailor the phrases to whatever speaks to you. For some people, it's like it's joy and love is what I care about, and peace is not so interesting. So just use the phrases that, that speak yeah, to you. Yeah, I had one that I'd come up with for years, which was, uh, may, I, may I be well and happy. Yeah, uh, great. May. So it, it doesn't matter, whatever they are, yeah, yeah. Is, is use it. And, yeah. and, and wherever there's juice, use it. And you were just starting to point uh, earlier <clears throat> towards the flip side of the critic. Um, uh, are we going to go more into that in, in the afternoon in terms of discrimination, discernment? Yeah, later? yeah, we'll explore this afternoon. Yeah, great. Yeah, okay. All right, good. Well, thank you, everybody, for for staying. This <laughs> is not easy work, you know, um, and. Hopefully, um, there's already there's, it's been instructive already to you know hear some of this work, um, and um, yeah, it's, as I said, this afternoon we'll be focusing a lot more on on, on a variety of strategies. Um, I'll touch on about fifteen or so that I think are useful, um, and. Um, as I said, the, a lot of this stuff is in the book. If you're interested, you get much more detail in the book. It's for sale. Happy to sign them. Um, there's also, I have a lot of talks online. You can also listen to this material. Different, presented it in different places. Um, I noticed I was on Facebook yesterday. Yesterday was the anniversary of the book coming out, so it's been out a year, and I was giving a, a face, my first and only Facebook Live talk. I noticed was on my wall. <laughs> Now Facebook pops up these, oh, one year ago. So um, you can listen on Facebook or all kinds of places. Anyhow, uh, it's lunchtime. So a few things. Uh, we'll keep this hall silent. So those of you who wish to be quiet can stay quiet and contemplative. You can, you can eat in here if you like. You can rest in here after lunch. I, I like to rest after lunch just so you have a little more energy for the afternoon. But it's also a gorgeous day. You know, you, the, the, the upper hall is, uh, you know, we can walk anywhere on the land. So um, it's, it's quite a sedentary day. Uh, my apologies for that, but there's a lot of material I want to deliver. So please take a walk, sit outside, walk up the hill, get some fresh air. We'll come back in here at uh, 2 o'clock. So it's just a little over an hour. Thank you. So we'll get a bell, a bell at 5 to 2. Hi, sorry I didn't get you.
Okay, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed your lunch. Hope you got out. Some of you wanted to get some fresh air. It's a beautiful day. Hope you rested, those of you who wanted to rest. How was your critic this lunchtime? (laughs) Is it active? Quiet? Active? Mm -hmm. Terrible workshop. What's he on about? Terrible. (laughs) I'm not doing it well enough. I should do better. They all look like they've almost finished working with their critic and I'm just starting. Some more cartoons for you. So this is a cartoon strip called The History of Man. It's a three-caption cartoon. So the first caption, The History of Man. The second cartoon caption... As a person is scratching his chin thinking, what the hell is happening here? And the third caption, the end. So we're in the middle. <laughs> what the hell is happening here? And the critic thinks, well, you should have figured it out already. But actually, we're still trying to figure it out. What am I doing here? What is the point of life? What's purpose? Where am I going? Who am I with? What's... Who am I? The perennial question. This is an anonymous piece. Dear Lord, so far it has been a good day. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't shouted at anyone or forgot something. Amazingly, I've not told any lies, been conceited or selfish, nor have I done anybody any harm. I haven't smoked or even had a drink yet. Now, if you please, I must get on with my day. But first, I must get out of bed this morning. (laughs) So, that should be pinned to all of our walls. (laughs) How to be kind to ourselves. So, this afternoon, I want to uh, explore some strategies that you might find useful as ways to work with the critic, and I'm going to first talk about ways that we habitually try to work with the critic that I think are not so helpful. And um, in the language of the the diamond approach work, um, this is actually the the first book that I read about the critic, um, which I really like a lot, is called um, Soul Without Shame. It's by Byron Brown. And it's a book from the Diamond Approach School, and um, it's it's, uh, it's not an easy read, but it's a very it's a very deep uh, look at this issue from their perspective. And one of the things he talks about is that normally with the critic, what we do is we engage with it, we engage, we get into, we get embroiled with it. So, and one of the main ways we engage with it, engaging means we we've we've we given it authority, we're listening to it and so the first way of engaging is we try to defend ourselves or you know, we rationalize the critics on our case about you know, I don't know, messing something up, missing something, forgetting something and it's you know, giving you a hard time for doing that 
and then we start rationalizing. Well, wait, but yes, that's. I mean, I'm, I'm trying my best, and I, I, you know, I did forget, but I, I remembered yesterday, and I am a good person, really. And we try to present this case, right? We're trying to rationalize our goodness to this voice that's implying that we're not. Okay? That sound familiar? We're trying to rationalize, just in the same way that someone might criticize you. Right? The first response often is we start rationalizing. Trying to, trying to protect ourselves in some way. Um, but the, the, when we engage, the, the problem with engaging with the critic is we engage in a losing battle. We engage with something. When we engage with the critic, we, 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 give, it by authority, we give it authority by default. We listen to it. We care what it has to say. And... Um, we get burnt usually. Or we, or we engage hoping to get a nice judgment. Because right? the critic go, you know, critic can be, give you a pat on the back, oh, good job, keep going, keep, good job. You know. um, the taskmaster critic, you know, the coaching critic. Right? We often give us momentary praise for something, knowing full well that the uh, the slap is, you know, close behind if we don't, if we, if we mess up. Dustin Hoffman once wrote, a good review from the critic is just another stay of execution. <laughs> a good review from the critic is another, just another stay of execution. Yeah, it's a great line, right? We keep hanging on for that moment of approval, either from our internal critic or from external critics, knowing full well but forgetting that, that, that uh, the more that we look for approval, when, they, when the disapproval comes, it will land more heavily because we've been orienting to this voice as if it had something valuable to say. So sometimes we counterattack, again, out of defense, out of giving this voice authority. Mostly what we do is we believe it. We believe it's true. Is it true? Yes, we believe it's true. And then when we believe it's true, we collapse. We feel heavy, we feel bad, we feel stupid, we feel deficient, we feel less than, we feel more judgment. Right? We feel like we failed in some way. And then that leads to all the other things I talked about, you know, with physical, low energy, emotional, sadness. Um, I think in its sort of full... Uh, in its fullness, it, um, it leads to depression. And certainly having worked with a lot of uh, people with depression, uh, the, the depression, my experience is depression and the critical voice uh, just so intertwined. Right? We listen to a voice that's telling us we're stupid every day, 500 times a day. We're going to feel pressed upon right? in some way. So that's some of the ways we engage. We also judge ourselves for judging. And we judge ourselves that we're judging, that judging. You know, it's this never-ending loop of self-judgment. So, so as I mentioned, there's two primary ways to work with the critic. One is to um, uh, befriend the critic um, 
seeing the critic as a misguided ally who's trying to tell us something useful but delivering it in a, in a not-so-constructive way, so lead, leading to a not-very-satisfying result. Or we see the critic as fundamentally challenging and undermining our goodness and our value and our worth, and therefore we need to, be, we need to have space and, and protection uh, from that Otherwise, the, the consequences are painful. So, um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some strategies, um, incorporate both of these orientations, but more the, the, the orientation from the diamond approach, which is more uh, seeing the, the critical voice as a, as a fundamental attack on one's, on one's worth and value and all the negative consequences from that. So firstly, we use mindfulness. We, begin, we notice, we start to discriminate between a judging thought and all the other kinds of thoughts. We have a lot of thoughts in our brain. Stanford thinks there's somewhere between, Stanford Research thinks there's somewhere between 60 and 90,000 thoughts a day. It's a lot of thoughts. No wonder your meditation's busy. No wonder it's hard to focus. That's about one second a day, something like that. So um, they figured out that 90% of them we thought yesterday. I don't know how they figured it out, but if you look at your own mind, you can know they're pretty unoriginal. <laughs> We're watching bad repeats on cable and TV. So, so we first want to highlight with mindfulness when a, ju- when a judgment is happening, which means we notice a difference between a judgment and a discernment. Right? So, for example, we, we meditate. At the end of our meditation, we just do a review. Oh, what was that practice like today? The discernment is, oh, you know, I meditate 20 minutes, and the beginning was really focused, but then I, this, this stressful situation at work came up. I got really embroiled. I got reactive, and I, and I basically got most, mostly distracted for the rest of the meditation. That's a discernment about the data. The judge comes in and says, well, that was just pathetic. I mean, call yourself a meditator. I mean, you just, you know, you lost the plot. You know, you started good and then it was just hopeless. Right? Same data, different delivery. And going from the particular to the universal. Implication that because you can't focus, therefore you must be hopeless or a bad person or worse. So you begin to notice, oh, judging, judging, self-judging. Oh, judging other people. You name it. Oh, judging. Judging is like this. Judging sounds like this. Judging comes like this. So you really want to, you know, like just in, in, in like in a, a stone sculpture, you want to bring the, the judge, judging thought into relief. You want to really see it clearly and really nail oh, That's a judging thought. Different than evaluating or assessing. We need all those skills for our life and our work and all kinds of things. So there's, so we, so there's the, the awareness of judging and non-judging thoughts. There's the naming of it. There's the then looking at, do you believe it? Is it true? Mostly that the, the, thought, the answer will be yes. You What's your relationship to the thought? Just like with anything, you, you ask that question. What's my attitude or relationship? Am I believing it? Am I allowing it? Do 
Do I let it repeat itself 50 times? What's the consequence? What's the implication? You know, I'm a terrible meditator. I must be a bad person or however you, whatever that implication is for you. Notice how it impacts your energy, how it impacts your body, it impacts your emotion, your heart, your sense of self and identity. Right? So we're just using mindfulness to really scrutinize. Oh, you know, so, and, and if the thought's momentary, oh, you, you, know, you messed up again, and it disappears, you let it go. You know, mostly we're recognizing, I call the three R's, recognizing, releasing, and returning to whatever we we're focusing on. Right? That's plenty enough practice. Notice it, let it go. When it sticks, then you want to bring more inquiry. Oh, what is this? Oh, it's really painful judgment. Oh, and I'm really, I'm, it's painful because I really believe it's true that I'm, that I'm worthless. Oh, and I'm and noticing I'm feeling heavy and kind of sad about that. Right? So you bring awareness to the whole spectrum. And what mindfulness does, for those of you who practice mindfulness, know this, it allows space, it allows us to, to step back, it allows us to see from a third-person perspective, it allows us to disidentify. Oh, look at that, I'm really beating up on myself again and feeling the painfulness of that again. Seeing them as thoughts. Right? So naming them, seeing them, counting them. This is a really fun practice. Tomorrow... Count the number of judgments you have in a day, just for fun, just for curiosity. Right? Self-judgments, other judgments, doesn't matter, it's all the same. Just count them. And you're lying in bed in the morning, oh, it's already late. God, I'm already too late. The room's a mess. <laughs> you know, and just, just see. Oh, I forgot to send that email. Damn. You're always forgetting things. And you'll miss nine out of ten of them. So your count will be a very inaccurate count. Because you just won't see most of them. Because it's just, it's just part of the living room furniture. But see how many you count. I did this on retreat. It's a really fun thing to do on retreat. Got nothing else to do on retreat. Sit and walk and breathe and count your judgments. 153, 298, 456 on a bad day. You know, and at some point it just becomes bizarre, ludicrous. The 757th. They could be facts. Uh, telling yourself you're lazy is not necessarily a fact. Right? It's the tone. Right? You know. Um, so I could say, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, my bedroom's messy. Oh, well, what a surprise. Or, oh, my bedroom's messy. You know, and you can feel it. If there's a judgment, it just feels, it just lands differently. It's just like, oh, there's another thing I'm not, I'm not doing well enough. You know, um, so it's subtle. You know, but if we if we've been living with a judgmental mind, then those observations have a judging flavor to them. They're not they're not as innocent as an observation. Right? They've got some. There's some like, really, you haven't cleaned your room up yet? Really? Like, what if someone saw this? <clears throat> So writing them down, as we did today, right? You think you saw the value of that, right? Getting clear, getting, getting the unconscious out into the conscious. Writing it down, and then we and reading them, bringing that analytical quality. Is it true that I'm 
not a good person. Well, let me think about that. What does that mean to say I'm not a good person? Let me, is that, is that, you know, and just bringing that inquiry process, using these questions. What, what do I get for believing these stories? How, how can I know that it's true that I'm unlovable? My dog seems to like me. That could be evidence. <laughs> Sharing them with somebody, right? There's something very powerful. I just had lunch with a friend and we were talking about the, the power of um, articulating your experience. Just like we did in that exercise, right? You just say, oh, my judgments today, I'm feeling, uh, you know, I'm feeling unworthy. You know, I, I was, where was I? I was, you know, uh, skip that story. Um, it's very, it's very powerful, you know. Particularly, here's here's what's key. Because most of the this patterning got implanted in relationship, pretty much all of it did. Right? These messages, these voices, these judgments that we had handed down to us, or we absorbed through osmosis as a child. When we bring them into relationship and we articulate them. There's something very powerful about that non-judgmental presence of another. Like when you shared your judgment with another person in here today, most likely what they felt was compassion for you. Like, oh, you got that one? That's probably, that's probably hard to live with. Oh, I got that one too. It sucks. Right? There's something, it, it's very affirming for our struggle as a human being to, to share it with somebody. Right? And, 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 de, and demystifying it, de-shaming it. Um... So naming with another. And then there's a whole slew of what the Buddha called replacing practices. So replacing practices are where you're, um, you're just replacing um, a painful uh, mind state or thought with uh, um, an unpainful one. Right? So... So the judging thoughts, whatever you're judging. Give me another judging thought. Give me something to play with. Not pretty enough. Not pretty enough. So the thought, painful thought, you're not pretty enough. Um, so you hear that thought, not smart enough, not young enough, not old enough, whatever. Um, and you replace it, as we did before lunch, with not pretty enough, and may I be happy. Not smart enough, and may I accept myself as I am. Not young enough. Good luck with that one. And um, <laughs> may I be free from pain. Okay. Not mindful enough. May I be peaceful. And you just, you know, where there's the, the, the so that's one replacing with practice is, is loving kindness. Do it as much as possible. Another one is just saying a bunch of words. Grass is green, or in California, grass is yellow, or brown. We're hoping it's green at some point. Um, you know, sky is blue, moon is round, or whatever. And just, just and reminding yourself, it's just words. It's just words that we lock in and give extraordinary power to, to decide, really, off, you know, to, to our fate, our value. Mark, is this kind of uh, a version of which wolf did 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that story of the two wolves, some grand Native American story of the grandfather talking to the grandson about understanding these different parts of ourselves and one is these two wolves is the metaphor and one wolf is very kind and benevolent and peaceful and the other one is very mean and selfish and um, you know vengeful and and they're always battling each other and and the, the grandson says so who wins and the grandfather says the one you feed the one you feed so which voice which thoughts which which habit which belief are you feeding you feeding the the belief that you're not smart enough are you believing the thought are you are you feeding the the practice of wishing yourself to be uh, love yourself as you are so and then we want to recognize the history of the voice whose voice is it uh, this sounds like my primary school teacher this sounds like you know the old testament this sounds like my dad, this sounds like my grandmother. You know, we can often, that's not always clear, but often it is. We can hear the voice of you know, people who were harsh with us, critical with us. And many of us here had critical people in our lives that we internalized, right? So you understand the history. Sometimes the history is, um, and this is more true in my case, I think. Um, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't experience my parents, particularly my father, I didn't experience him being uh, verbally critical, not that that I remember much, but he was um, incredibly self-critical. And, and I learned, and I, you know, as kids do, you, you, you learn through osmosis and uh, internalized his habit of self-judgment and self-hatred. That's what. That's what partly was the what got learnt. And that's okay to treat yourself that way, to shout at yourself, to be harsh with yourself, to be impatient with yourself, to be demeaning or frustrated. So, and then we move into slightly more active uh, practices with the critics. So, this is a lot of those is mostly around self awareness. Um, and and working with our inner process. Um, I'll say a couple more, and then I'll shift to the more active practices. So, the other one that I mentioned earlier is feeling the pain of the judgments. So, if you can shift from the thought, from being allied with the mind and the the judge, to how does that land? How does it feel to be called stupid or? not pretty or not smart or not lovable or whatever your judgment how does that feel as if imagining as if someone else was saying that to you it's painful hurtful sad deflating a balloon you can also bring inquiry to um Feeling the vulner- feeling into the vulnerability that triggered the, the critic to arise in that moment. Right? So maybe you're driving to work, you've got an important meeting, you're late, you hit traffic. Guess who comes into the car? The critic. 
can't believe you didn't leave. I can't believe you didn't check the traffic. You know there's bad traffic on the money. You, you know your boss is going to be there. I can't believe you're blowing this. Right? Why is that happening? It's happening because that's a vulnerable situation. This is your job. You're in a meeting. Your colleagues are there. Your boss is there. It matters whether you're punctual. It matters that you show up right? For, on many levels. Right? You know, if you do that a lot, you, your job could be at risk. Your reputation at risk or whatever. So there's, so there's a vulnerability that triggers the critic. Right? The, as, as we talked earlier, the critic is trying to protect you from harm and, and therefore will chastise you in the hopes that you won't do it again. God's sake, next time, be on time. As if that, you know, I mean, the data on managers who scold their employees is it doesn't lead to great performance, Right? You ever had a scolding by a judgmental boss, right? We've had those. It doesn't exactly inspire you and motivate you to put in your best work, right? It's like there's a contraction, there's resentment, there's, you know, passive aggression, there's all kinds of things. So, um, so we want to, so we, so we want to feel under, like, what's, what's triggering, what's triggering the vulnerable, what's triggering the vulnerability that I can actually be with. Like, so in that moment, maybe you're scared. Maybe you're terrified that your boss is going to reprimand you in front of people. Or maybe it's just a simple, social, natural social anxiety. We're social creatures. We want to fit in. We want to belong. And when that's threatened, our amygdala fires and we're on a flight, fight, flight, fight, freeze response as if we, you know, as if we could die because that's the, that's the survival circuitry. So, you know, or maybe you, you come in home from work and it's been a long day and um, your partner's in the house and they give you a kind of a, um, you know, slightly cold, cold look. They're not very warm when you come in and it's like, oops, I've done something wrong. And maybe you, you know, were late for dinner or something or who knows what and the critic starts revving like in the ways that you might have done something wrong Again, trying to protect you from that potential fallout in the relationship. Right? You can think of your own situations. Think about the times your critic revs up and what's the vulnerability that's triggering it. Right? Just think of one place right now, a common place your critic gets on your case. In the middle of the night. And then feel into the vulnerability. Right? What's... what's, what, what's What's going on? What are you scared of? What's at risk? Um, being alone. Being alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of the, probably, I don't know what the percentage is, probably 90% will probably come from some kind of, because the critic arose in social, you know, in response to social connection. A lot of the triggers, the vulnerability comes around a risk to social connection. Right? You know, maybe you, uh, I don't know, you walk out of the restaurant and you're, you know, you walk out of the bathroom in the restaurant and you're, you know, you're you've tucked in something wrong and, you know, your skirt's up or your, who knows what, your buttons are mixed up and, right? That's no big deal, right? You know, but in terms of the fear of ridicule and shaming or judgment or embarrassment, right? That's, you know, we're young, that's a, that's a big deal, right? So the critic comes online.
So, and then when, when we can feel the vulnerability, that we drop beneath the story and go, oh, this is what's really going on. I'm afraid. Oh, I'm overwhelmed. Oh, I'm anxious that I'm going to get rejected or reprimanded or disapproved of. Right? Which rationally, not a big deal, but we're not very rational creatures. Mostly we're, we're operating much more from an instinctual, emotional layer, uh, level. Okay, so that's the more reflective, mindful strategies. And then we start being more active. And so the first one, uh, this, and it, this might sound like engaging, but it's not, and I'll clarify the difference as we go through, is, um, is you, you're actually having a kind of a dialogue with this part of your mind. Uh, and the first is so when the critic lashes out at you, you know, in a very harsh way, in the, in the same way that you might when someone says something off the cuff that's kind of hurtful, you might say, ow, ow. I find that a really effective strategy when someone says something mean, real time, ow. Don't have to come up with some sophisticated cognitive retort, but just, ooh, that was painful, right? And just lets the other person know, oh, wow, I just said something that was really hurtful. So we say that to our critic, ow, that was really mean. That was really painful. It's an acknowledgement of the pain. Right? Which means, and it's a shift of allegiance from the judge to oneself. And so the shift of allegiance is coming from compassion, self-compassion. Self-protective. You might inquire and ask the question, what is the critic trying to say? Beneath its tirade of verbal judgment, what is it trying to say? You know, in that situation of being late for a meeting at work, it, underneath it's trying to say, you know, take care of business. You know, be efficient, show up. So we're, we're shifting from the judgment to, uh, you know, what's really going on underneath. So for myself, I use humor mostly, uh, different forms of humor to... Uh, uh, deflect the the critic and and the the velocity of it. So um, as I said, I used to imagine the the judge's wig. Um, mostly, I you know, being English, I mostly use uh, sort of sarcasm and this dry wit, a sort of witty retort. So so my, one of my commonplaces to my critic comes up is I teach at Spirit Rock a lot and I often teach at Monday nights or other evening classes and I'm one of those people who cuts their time a little fine which is never good when you've got to deal with Bay Area freeway traffic and so I'm often um, you know, a little tight for comfort with uh, the traffic and getting to the meditation class on time and I'm noticing sometimes I get a little 
stressed about that. You know, it's a big class. I don't want to disappoint people. I want to be respectful of people's time. And, of course, guess who shows up on the passenger seat? <laughs> it's my critic. Can't believe you're here again. Didn't you learn from this last week? Yada, 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 yada. Or whatever it has to say. It's not that interesting. And I, you know, I, I know I'm, it's going to arise because, it, again, it, it's, a, it's a vulnerable situation that there's some consequence for that could have been averted. So the judge feels like, well, if it weighs in, I'm not going to do it next time. Well, clearly it hasn't worked <laughs> since it keeps happening. Um, and uh, so I just say, oh, hello. <laughs> oh, I sort of roll my eyes. and I, Oh, please, really? I'm a terrible person because I'm running a bit late for this class. Really? So I'm just I'm I'm just playing with it, a little sarcastic, a little humorous, a little playful. Which you know, as as you with any good comedian, one of the skills of a good comedian and a good joke is uh, it's actually very similar to mindfulness in that we we disembod- we disidentify a little from the situation. We we take a step back and we see the humor of it, and that's what makes comedians funny. They just they just talk about human experience. And how bizarre and weird and funny we are. Right? It's taking a step back. So we take a step back and we go, oh, hello, Mr. and Mrs. Critic. Welcome back. Or as Jack likes to say, oh, I forget the exact, exact phrase, but the end of the phrase is, oh, please go bother somebody else. <laughs> um, not interested, thank you. Heard it yesterday. So another form of, of humor, you can play with this, is exaggerating. You know, maybe you're, you're meditating here and maybe your mind's particularly distracted or restless and, and you're barely able to notice anything and the judge is on your case about that. And then you say, you're right. I'm just, I'm the worst meditator in the world. Like, I'm just, I may as well give up now because, you know, clearly I'm, I'm like an F in the class and... And you just you kind of ham it up a little bit. Just be playful with it. Sometimes the the the, the this sort of intrapsychic energy with the critic, we've gotten into a habit of, of as I said earlier, rationalizing and, and trying to bolster ourselves up. Sometimes the opposite strategy, which I call a Tai Chi move, um, just going with the flow and just saying, "Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I screwed up, and I'm late for the class. Can you believe that? I'm late again." What about that? And I'm a terrible driver too. Right. And you just, rather than trying to like, no, 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 I'm a really good person. I'm really nice. Really, really, I'm, I said something nice to someone else yesterday and I'm really, really, really. Just go, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I screwed up. Thanks. I didn't notice that, but thanks for telling me. I, 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 now I get it. Um, so you're going with the flow. You're not trying to nervously protect yourself. Because sometimes it is true. It's like, it's true. Yes, I wasn't very nice on that call to United Airlines after being on hold for two hours. You're right. And? I'm a bad person, okay. I'm not proud that I did that, but... um, So it's taking the, the sting out of trying to defend against the... 
the, often the truth of the incident is fine. The, the truth of the implication is erroneous and problematic. Right? Yeah, I messed up in the meeting. I didn't give my best presentation. Yeah, so what? That happens. You know, good days and bad days. Am I a terrible person because of that? No. I was giving a presentation last week where I was, I was in Edmonton, Canada, and um, I must, I think I clocked my worst day of teaching ever. <laughs> That's how it felt to me. I'm sure it was fine, but the internal experience was not great. And, um, you know, I had a lot of back pain, uh, jet lag, and some, some factors, and, um, and it's like, oh well, could be better. Sorry. <laughs> You know, you never know. Teaching is a funny thing. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's mediocre. Sometimes it's flat. Oh well, do my best. You know, so I'm not. I'm not letting myself off the hook. I'm just not buying into the story and the implication. And then questioning: Is it true? Is this really true? Sometimes it's true, but sometimes it's really not true. Like I'm a bad person. Always, if ever the word always or never or should is in there. It's always never true. <laughs> um, or questioning the judge itself. Like, who are you to cast doubt over my goodness and well-being? Who do you think you are? Just like the Buddha said, who do you think you are? Saying I'm not worthy to take the seat of enlightenment. And then sometimes, as in meditation, you know, sometimes you have these meditations where your mind is just blabbing on and on and on. First it's thinking about Trump and then it's thinking about the stock market and then it's what's for lunch and then you know I should have got a cardigan, not a sweater. And blah, blah, blah. and you just say, okay, enough. <laughs> like, can we just feel the breath, please, for two breaths? And you just stop. Just put it down. And sometimes we can put that restless, meandering, ruminating mind down. Just enough. And the same with the critics. Sometimes we're just like, okay, enough. Okay, I didn't do that well. I said that thing, I regret. I heard it 50 times, thank you, enough. And you just bring a little firmness to your mind. Firmness to the critic. It's really, it's bringing the sword, right? Sometimes is iconography, we don't have much iconography in here. Um, some bodhisattvas and buddhas are carrying a sword of wisdom. Right? It's cutting through delusion, cutting through ignorance. Right? Slightly sort of a militaristic metaphor. But actually, it's, it's that, that at times we need that enough. Stop. Stop getting on my case. Let it go. Put it down. And then lastly, not lastly, there's many more strategies, but I'm, I'm stopping here because that's enough and now I want to flood you with endless things to do. Um, there's the, the strategy, if it is a strategy, it's not really one. It's it really, I think it's the culmination that arises from doing some of these practices is where you basically become a little disinterested. The critics whining on in the background about you and what you did and how you look and what you said and how you are and da da da. And you're just like, who cares? It's disinterest. It's the attitude of disinterest. Where you, there's an understanding that the critic voice may not go away. But the, 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 this is, again, we're coming back to the, the attitude 
If there's an attitude of disinterest, it's not going to have the same impact. This is from uh, Jean Sibelius, the composer, who said, Pay no attention to what the critics say. A statue has never been erected in honor of a critic. So, so that's some some tools in the book. This is called the the critic toolkit, and I and I elaborate them in a lot of detail. Um, there's a lot more other strategies. Uh, what what I haven't done here is the whole uh, the sort of the positive inclination practices, loving kindness, thinking about the positive, uh, appreciating others. There's a whole slew of practices that's 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 orienting the attention to a much more positive orientation towards oneself and others in life that's also very necessary to practice in a very day-to-day way rather than cultivating being a nitpicking, critical judge, right? which we happily do all the time, you know, driving, sitting on the bus, looking at people in our office or whatever. So... Um, I want to make this interesting and real and practical. So if the volunteers... Um, I, so I, I printed out a summary of these sheets. So if you'd like to distribute those sheets to everybody. And um, so the, they have a synopsis. Can I get one of them just so I can see? Thanks. I don't, I don't think I've listed all of them and I didn't list them in the same order as some of the... Mostly the same order, but... So we're going to go back to our very charming list of judgments, your top ten tunes. And we're going to do some, uh, some role play. So your judge will be eye rolling in its seat right now. No, not role play, please. California workshop. So what we're going to do You can be in the same partners or you can change partners. Either way is fine. Um, And we're going to go through our list again in the same way. But you you don't go from the top. Just go with whatever judgment you want to share. And we're going to um, practice using some of these, what I call, I have strategies for working with the critic. So um, I want to demonstrate how that looks. So I need someone to volunteer to be my critic. Okay, Mr. Super Callous, Fragile, Racist, Sex is not my POTUS. POTUS. Um, uh, Okay, so I'm going to give you a a judgment, one of my judgments. um, And then I'm just going to role play. So basically how it goes is you'll say my judgment which is, you're so disorganized. And I'll, and I'll respond once. And, and the principle of the response is it's short and to the point. Right? It's not a long five, six, ten sentence explanation because that's engaging. When you engage, you've already lost the fight because you've already given power to the judge. It's a simple, quick uh, response. Um, and um, so I'll, I'll say that once, and then you repeat the judgment back. 
ideally pretty much the same way I said it, and we just continue uh, practicing that, and then you 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 that, that particular session ends when you feel like okay, I feel like I've got a handle on that judgment not landing and not not affecting me so painfully. Right? So when we come up with the right response or strategy or retort. It allows the 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 the, you know, the 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 judgments like it's got hooks in it. It's got these barbs on it, and it kind of goes in. It's like, ooh, you're right. Oh, I am. Oh, I'm really. Right? The retort it, it helps us to go like, nope, I'm not letting. That. It's not allowing it not to land, right? which is easier said than done. Um, it's the reason I call it in the book the critic toolkit is because you need a toolkit. Just that there's no one size fits all. What worked great today, tomorrow might not work, and you need, look, you need something else. Okay? Today you might be fierce, and then the judge disappears. The next day you, you try that fierceness, the judge is all over you, and you need a lot of self-compassion because you're feeling how painful it is. And the next day you do some inquiry like, is that really true? Is it really true I'm worthless? I really have to look at that. I don't think that's actually accurate. So, what's your name? You've told me ben. before. Ben, right. I thought it was. I didn't want to. Okay, so Ben, lay it on. I can't believe you don't know what I'm supposed to do. You're not, uh, yeah, so, yeah, so this is great. So you need to get really clear exactly what the phrase is. You've probably written it down, so you repeat exactly what the, the, the phrase is. Uh, you're so disorganized. Mark, you're so disorganized. You're right. It's terrible. <laughs> Mark, you're so disorganized. I know. What am I going to do about that? Thanks for pointing it out. It's really helpful. But Mark, you're, you're so disorganized. Uh, it's actually not that interesting. I really would like you to go away. <laughs> it's not that easy. The judge isn't that easy a pushover. Mark, you're so disorganized. Oh, stop. Enough. Enough. <laughs> Keep going. Mark, you're, you're so disorganized. Oh, I'm really feeling the pain of that. Ooh. May I? Oh, may I be free from this voice? Well, wow, that's tormenting. Mark, you're so disorganized. Shut up. <laughs> right. So you just do a range. Right. There's all these different strategies, um, and you you know you might find you have your one or two that kind of like is your go-to's. Um, try and be playful with it. Um, choose the easiest, the, the 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 most, the least painful judgment first. Choose something very lightweight. That's not like, whoa, so true, I feel terrible. Just you know, something that's mildly annoying. Um, play with that one first, so then you get the, the hang of it. And so again, what we're looking for is, is, is a response that allows it not to feel so, you know, to land so painfully, right? Um, so we, we do that, so that was one, one round. And then I say, okay, I feel, like, I feel like that's good for now. So then we switch. I'll now be Ben's judge, and Ben will share with me a judgment, and I'll say it, and he'll practice whatever his responses are uh, until he feels sufficiently like, okay, that's, that's, uh, no, that's too hard, I'm going to try something different, or oh, no, I feel like I've got the handle of that, Let's, and, then, and then we switch, and then I'll, share, then, then I'll share another one of mine to go back and forth in the same way that we did this morning. Um, you might want to spread out. Um, 
you're welcome to go outside. Um, and um, don't do it right underneath the far side of the building because that goes right up into the, um, the, the upper meditation hall where the, the, the groups in more in a silent meditation. They might not want to hear about your judgment. So, um, But um, it's actually quite cold, so you'll probably stay in here anyway. Um, any questions about that? So you have to remember that this person being your judge is actually being very kind by being a judge, but they are not your judge. <laughs> And we will release each other from that belief at the end of the session. Okay? So, and of course, again, if this doesn't feel comfortable to do, you can do it on your own. You'll just find it's much harder to do it on your own. And and we want to use each other supportively if we can. So we'll do this for about 20 minutes, and then we'll check in.
stay in your seats. You're not done yet. Um, I just want to interrupt for a second and just, um, and just check in with where you are. We're not finished with this exercise, but I just want to um, just see how this is going and any questions or challenges, because it usually brings up a lot of interesting uh, questions. Do you feel like you have a sense of is this, how to work with this? Do you feel good to keep going? I'll walk around, so raise your hand if you have questions, if you're not sure how to manage any particular thing. Okay, we'll, we'll do this for another um, probably uh, 10 minutes. Okay. Enjoy. <laughs> So for those who just came in, another 10 minutes.
So if you could bring your conversation to a close, stay, stay with your partner for a second. And I would just like you to just take a couple of minutes. You may have already done this already. I'm sure some of you have. Just take a couple of minutes just to debrief what was that like. You may have done that as you went along, but just what was it like to share your judgments and practice defending or, you know, responding to the critic? And, uh, yeah, just a little debrief, and then we'll come back and we'll hear from, from you in a big group. Okay? A couple of minutes of meta-process.
Okay, if you want to bring your conversations to a close, come back to your seats. Mike Runners. So, how was that? What did you discover, learn, experience? Anybody like to share? What did you? What came up for you? What was was it helpful? We really are. The just, it's really monotonous. They're very boring. It's true. So, just raise your hands. How many? How many people was that useful in some way to to play with? Finding responses to the critic. Okay, that's most of you. Great, good, good. Um, and there's a lot of different strategies in there, right, that you're playing with, and each one of those you could take for a year and, and just use it, you know, and there's a, there's a lot of depth to some of those, especially the, the you know, the replacing practices, which you know, so, some of those that's on the sheet, those strategies, you know, they're more internal, you know, the loving kindness, self-compassion, Right, they're quieter. They're not. I'm not going to bust my critic over the head with my self-compassion. Like, no, it's not. It's it's it just doesn't work. So, but some of them are sort of more responses to the the verbal. So, anyhow, questions, observations, challenges. Malay at the front here, and then this lady in blue. Someone else has the mic. Is it on? It is on. I was just surprised at how mm. extremely painful it was. Mm. It just ached mm. for me to say those words or for me to hear them. Mm-hmm. It was really physical. Mm-hmm. And I even kind of knew about this stuff before, mm-hmm. but it really yeah. hurt. Yeah, yeah. And where did it hurt? All over. Yeah, all it all hurt over. my heart, really. <clears throat> your heart. I mean, it was hard <clears throat> to hear the words, and it was very hard for me to say them. Mm. I would never speak to somebody that way. Right. Right. Well, it's interesting to see uh, that yeah, the the way that we speak to ourselves so much harsher than we would ever think about speaking to another person, or to hear her say that to me. Mm. Yeah, it had quite a punch. Right. When we hear it externalized, it's like, oh, that's really powerful. Yeah. 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 Good. Thank you. Good. Yeah, and good to feel. Good to feel the hurt. You know, because it's real, right? We we don't we don't catch that most of the time, so that's why we let, we don't we're somewhat blasé to the critic because we don't fully acknowledge what it's doing to us. Yeah, there was another hand. Okay. Uh, well, I I thought it was really wonderful. It was really great to do. I thought it was very helpful. It was good to do it over and over and over. Hmm. Um, and it was interesting because I did it with two people to hear what they had to say, and the similar experience was great. But I guess I just want to share something that I've used a lot for myself with things that when they go awkwardly or don't go well, and what I say out loud and I say to myself, um, it's, it's just another scene from my sitcom. <laughs> and it just, it soothes me. I don't even have to think about it anymore. Yeah, great. It's true. Just another scene from the sitcom. Another movie. Did you have a hand? No? Yeah? The white t-shirt? No. 
and then next to you. Uh, well, I, I found that when I was the critic and she was using her strategies, I felt really like shut down. Like, you know, she would tell me to stop or be sarcastic and I did not want to say it again because uh-huh. I thought they were really effective and uh-huh. I felt really, I was done. Yeah, good, good. Next. It just dawned on me that, you know, I've been maybe taking a one-size-fits-all approach, and if these are repetitive things that I'm saying over and over again, it was really fun to play with uh, what's, the, what's the response that feels the best mm-hmm. for this particular voice or this particular judgment. Mm. And um, that's not something that I've necessarily done with this type of language internally. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to work on that together. It's kind of, I, I like this whole idea of, um, this is my twin sister. Mm. Um, so yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna use that. I, it's I love this whole like sounding board and like feeling like is that the right response? Because I think maybe trying to use the the wrong tool for the situation is not going to give you necessarily a better outcome. Right, right. Yeah. No. Good to have a you know good to have a variety of tools. Yeah. Do you have similar critics? Interestingly enough, we we do. We had some themes that were coming up that we've never talked about uh-huh. ever. And uh, so we're going to do like a debrief after this because Great. it was like, I was like, I didn't know you thought that. And she did the same thing for me. <laughs> so it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see whether you use similar strategies or whether, you know, sounds like this be overlap. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Humor. I like your humor. humor sarcasm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Humor's really important. Yeah. As Wavy Gravy says, if you don't have a sense of humor, it just ain't funny. <laughs> <laughs> So the better I get at using strategies like this, the smarter my critic gets. So how do you avoid an arms race? Um, yeah, so you, you don't want to get into an arms race. Um, my sense is that maybe the way that you're employing the strategies is you're engaging with the judge. And uh, something comes up uh, around that... Um, is the, the retort, if you're using a verbal retort, um, and that's why I say keep it short, because it, for me, what I find helpful to not let it land is to have a, it's, it has a dismissive tone in it. So I'm not, I'm not even interested in what it's coming back with. It's like, oh, please, like, enough. Like, just go away. Like, I'm not, not interested in, in, in that messaging system. Thank you very much. So, um, yes, you might just look into how much am I really getting into a duel, which is a pointless exercise because it just it's circular. Um, and you know, and the critic is wily. The critic has been around a long time. It's very tenacious, um, even though it's a very, as I was saying to somebody in the break in the during the exercise, it's a it's a crude mental structure in that. The superego is fully, fully formed by the age of eight. And a lot of our more sophisticated, complex cognitive structures are not developed by eight by any means. So that's why the critic is, that's bad. You're stupid. It's right and wrong. This is good. This is good. It's, it's simplistic. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm caricaturing it to some degree, but it is somewhat simplistic. And, um, you know, as adults, we have a much more sophisticated you know, mental apparatus than that so 
Um, that's why the, the, some of the strategies, the, the simpler the better, because you're dealing with a, somewhat of a simple structure that can be wily and change guys and change tack. And first there's the friendly coach and then there's the demeaning coach. And, you know, so you need, does need some skill, but, um, yeah, just look at how much you're kind of buying into the whole conversation, engagement, narrative. Yeah. And maybe be a little less interested in it. In it. Yeah. Which is ultimately where we're going with it. Yes, other hands. Yes, lady up there in the white. How do you prevent in the process of this? Because I'm realizing that I'm not really hurt by my inner critic anymore because I built up walls and barriers to lock it out. But it at times makes it impossible for me to feel anything at all. That I was pretty tormented for a long time from my inner critic and external critics to the point where pieces of me just as a self-defense mechanism had to shut down and shut off. And I'm finding that I'm not hurt by my inner critic at all. But at the same time, it can be very hard to be feeling anything at all either. That the same walls that are up against the critic are walls that are up against every kind of feeling. And how do you develop the strategies with the inner critic without developing those emotional walls that block out everything? I don't know if I'm making any sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you certainly don't want to be building any walls. Um, So... mm, if the if you're not feeling anything because of the critic, um, but the critic's still active, or you're just not feeling it, you hearing it. Hear it, but the emotional response is more deadened. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 So you've, so you've. Yes. Well, that's what happens. We shut down the heart to one thing, and it shuts down to everything. That's the problem. So, um, so it sounds like what the one one avenue is. You need to start letting in the feelings of what this is like to be talked to in this way. So you want to, So when you, when your critics on your case, you just want to start to be curious. You listen. You feel your body, your heart, your belly, your throat, where solar plexus. You know these are places we feel usually feel something. Just start to be curious if it's really true that I'm not feeling anything from these judgments. Right? So it's probably going to take a while to thaw because it sounds like there's a lot of numbness in, as a, as a defense. Right? which is very effective, but deadens everything. So, um, so I just start to be curious. And um, I would really you know, wholeheartedly engage in the, the loving-kindness practice or self-compassion practice. And just to, and just to start um, 
no, uh, opening the not opening the heart, but sort of watering the the garden of the heart a little bit. Uh, you know, with with just even just simple wishes of kindness for yourself, and um, and then the other thing I would suggest is that when you're out and about in your day, whatever it is. Um, that you you try you pay attention to any time that you feel anything, whether it's beautiful or horrible. You watch the news, and you feel sad because there's some tragedy, or you you know driving along the road and the sun's blazing the maples, and you're like, oh, man, you drop into awe and wonder, and you let yourself really feel and savor those experiences. You know, watch, watch some really tear-jerking movies, right? As a way, it's actually a really healthy practice. It's like you, you're just trying to move, thaw the freeze, right? And um, actually, movies can be really good as ways to uh, just evoke strong feeling, right? Because the the numbness isn't serving you. Right? It served you to protect you against the critic, but it, you know, if it kills everything else, then it's, you know, it's a nuclear solution. Not very helpful. Yeah. So you want to be fanning the embers of the heart. Whatever allows you to feel or even encourage the, the feeling. Um, and then just stay curious. How, how is all those you know, critical words landing? Right? And I would question whether you really don't feel anything. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Yes, at the front here. <clears throat> In green. In green. One thing I noticed is my inner critic is very quiet. Today? Usually, to the extent that I feel like mm, I don't have much of an inner critic. Um, I do tend to default positively most of the time. I have an optimistic outlook. Mm-hmm. And um, what I'm discovering is that the inner critic is still there, but it just doesn't really articulate itself, but it comes across as... Um, maybe just like a quick jab, but it doesn't, oftentimes it doesn't say anything. And today that I'm really listening to it, I'm realizing that there are some things that it needs to say. And so I just want to know if you have... Needs um, to say? Yeah. Uh Like like today it's articulating itself because I'm listening. But I think for most of my day-to-day experience... Because I'm not listening to it, it's it just kind of, it doesn't say things to me. It doesn't say like nobody's listening to you and people don't value what you say. But I'll still feel like a little bit of nervousness when I speak or doubt. But I but I don't have like a language for it. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious um, if you have anything, any reflection or any tips for a quiet, insidious inner critic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you can be happy that it's quiet. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it's not very strong to me. I mean, it's there. There's something there, but it doesn't sound like it's very, uh, you know, strong, um, which is great, you know. Um, and it may be that you know that you that it goes under the radar, you know. Maybe it's more energetic. Or you know, it's it's more embedded into the into the cells now, so it doesn't need to be so verbal. Um, and um, 
you know, as you were talking about, like, you know, speaking and maybe people aren't listening or whatever, some of that might not be the critic, might just be discernment. So I would be, just be curious about what feels like judgment that makes you feel, you know, bad in some way, and what's just might be an observation, you know, um, or projection. Um, and then, you know, see when the critic's operating that's undermining. Um, and like I said earlier, what I'd suggest is um, when you're feeling that it's around or you're or you feeling something that maybe you didn't catch the, the word or the judgment, then just make, one, make it up. As in, what would the critic be saying? Here I am giving a talk and it seems like people aren't listening and what's the critic saying here that I'm not catching? Oh, it's saying, well, you don't have anything to say, really. You know, or whatever it's saying. So you try and bring up what the feeling, energetic quality is, put it into words, and then it's like, oh, is that, is that, what, I, is that what I'm thinking? Is that what the critic is thinking? Oh, okay, that's interesting. It's saying I'm you know, not a good speaker. It's interesting. <laughs> not that interesting, but you know, good to know what it what it's might be saying. Um, and then you work, and then you, so, so you bring it up into the cognitive because it's a little easier to work with than the energetic which is more amorphous. That make sense? Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. And just be happy that you have a light critic. <laughs> yes? Um, I hope this can relate to other people because it's kind of specific, but I'm just curious what the difference between um, like judgment and regret because I... Between what? Judgment and regret. Yeah. I had a relationship end recently and he said, if only you did X, then... Like, you, you did X and that caused me to feel this way. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately led to the demise. And mm. um, you should have done this. Right. That's and what he said, said or what you said? That's what he said. Uh-huh. And that was like a stab in my heart. It's like, oh, I should I can't deny his feelings. That's how he felt when I said, said what I said. And mm-hmm. what I said maybe not was, the, was not the most skillful thing to say. So it's like, oh, I should have done this. I should have done this. And it's like, right. Right. it seems like a judgment, but is it? Yeah. If it's, so the judgment, so in, in Buddhist psychology, the judgment, which is in this case, similar to, to um, guilt or regret, is a form of aversion in that we're, we're, we're pushing away the reality of the experience. Right? The experience is, there was a dialogue, you said something, he experienced it as very painful, and it led to these, you know, ending the relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's the story. Mm-hmm. So, the reality is, that's what happened from a certain perspective, right? And and then the judge comes in and says, "Well, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, right?" But that's completely useless and irrelevant because it is what it, it was, what it was. So that happened. You said what you said for whatever reason. And here's a point I want to. I'm going to zoom out for a second, just to make a general point and come back. The one of the main problems with the critic. And this is really important if you're interested in the truth and interested in inquiry and waking up. The critic um, curtails the ability to investigate your experience. When you're judging yourself, here's an example. You judge yourself, oh, I I, I shouldn't have said that. I should have been this. I should have done that. I should have been nicer. There's no learning there. 
right? And the judge keeps saying that, hoping that if, you, if it says it enough, if she says it enough, you won't do it again, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You'll do it again if there's no learning, right? If you got triggered and you said something that was helpful and they left, if the trigger's not understood, which won't be understood if the critic's just saying you shoulda, 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 there's no learning, there's no understanding, we keep repeating, right? The, the way we upend and uproot patterns is by understanding them. Judging ourselves leads to no understanding. It leads to feeling small. Right? So, the, so partly, the, you know, some, the, the reason for these, what I call defending strategies, where we're just like telling the kid, like, back off. Like, give me a break. Let me just feel and listen and, and like, what's going on? I need to know what's going on here right, in your situation. Wow, I feel really, really sad that I said that because I, I love this person, and you know, if that's really the only reason they left, that's you know, and that was you know, I know, wondering why I said that, and you know, I wonder what was triggering, and what can I learn here, and, and that's really fruitful in inquiry, right? So you understand, and maybe that relationship is over, but you're learning something about yourself, and it's going to serve you in future relationships, right? This is important. Um, but if you're just saying, I should have said, I shouldn't have done that, and I should have said this, one who knows, you know, if that's really, if, if you said something that's the end of a relationship, that's interesting in itself. But um, who knows, you know? And the judge also has this view if I hadn't said that, it, it, my life would be better. It would all be good. We'd still be together. Who knows? It's a fabrication. It's all a story. This is what Byron Katie said. It's a story. If I hadn't said that, he wouldn't have left. Is it true? I have no idea. It's impossible to know the truth of that. So, so the, the not questioning whether it's true keeps us holding on to that story. Oh, I, sh- I can't believe I said that. I wish I hadn't. I should have done this. We don't know what's supposed to happen. We know what happened. We don't even know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, where that relationship ended, of course it's painful. I'm sorry that that ended. It's, relationship ending is hard, period. Is that a good or bad thing in the, long, in the lifespan of my life? I have no idea. Right? But the judge just fixates on this one thing and it has this view that it shouldn't have happened. I did the wrong thing. It happened. It was supposed to happen because it happened. Right? Is it true I shouldn't have done that? Could I have done something more skillful? If I learn, I could probably, I'll definitely learn for next time. But it's done, right? And this is where we also have to forgive ourselves, right? An important practice with the, with the inner critic is forgiveness, right? Because, so back to your question, um, the judgment gets in the way of both general, genuine reflection and understanding. And out of understanding comes uh, remorse, Right? You may, you may deeply you may feel deep remorse that you said that, either because it was hurtful, because it ended the relationship, but you're not blaming yourself for being a bad person. You did what you did. You said what you said. We all say things we regret, but it's coming to peace with it. Will only happen when you stop judging yourself for it. You're human. We say things. We have no idea what's going how something's going to land. Mm-hmm. What well, our impact is often not our intention. You know, so um, yeah. So this important piece of you know, this is a 2020 thing. Oh, if only I'd said something else. Well, great. You know, 
that's not reality, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then once the, once you can feel genuine remorse, you know, it also allows you to feel the grief. And there's another interesting thing the critic does. The, the critic in its, again, its attempt to help us from not feeling pain judges us so we don't feel the pain of the loss of the relationship, mm. right? But it's a miscued attempt. It doesn't really work. It just drags it out. And there's no resolution grieving. You know, the grieving happens and then you move on. Right? It keeps you kind of frozen a little bit. Right? In guilt, shame, regret. Right? So I'm saying a lot about this one incident, but it's really you know, extrapolated to all of the ways that we coulda, woulda, shoulda ourselves. And I know this because my critic loves to get on my case about the past. You know, and it's like, okay, quiet. <laughs> Let me just feel the impact of this experience because it's really hard to lose a relationship. Let, that, that's what's important. When we feel the feelings and let the critic get out the way, then the clarity comes. Like, oh, that's what went on. Oh, yeah, I was really vulnerable when that happened. Or I was really angry or hurt or who knows why, you know, things happen like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Okay. So good. So um, I want to do one last practice, but um, let's take a five-minute break. If you want to, you know, stand, stretch, bathroom, and we'll do some compassion practice, forgiveness practice. Yes.
All right, so we're going to do a little meditation practice to close. Another cartoon, just because, you know, why not? Um, so there's a, there's a picture of a guy meditating. There's six captions. And um, under each f- caption of him meditating is a phrase. So he's meditating in a very, like, professional meditation posture. And um, that was a joke. And he, uh, he says... Um, So underneath it says, what my friends think I do, what my parents think I do, what society thinks I do, what my yoga teacher thinks I do, what I think I do, what I actually do. (laughs) So that may be your experience in the meditation coming up. Um, Let me read something else here. So this is a well worn piece but worth sharing given the topic it's called inner peace if you can start the day without caffeine always be cheerful ignoring your aches and pains resist complaining and boring people with your troubles if you can eat this same food every day and be grateful if you can understand when your loved ones are too busy to give you time if you can take criticism and blame without resentment and conquer tension without medical help and relax without alcohol and sleep without drugs then you're probably the family dog (laughs) so in case you any part of you left this workshop thinking I should be perfect in any way then get over it Um, all right what else can I share? I'm just sort of entertaining you a little bit. Um, but also, you know, this, these are important teachings, but sometimes it's just nice to have different voices. Um, so, um, this is a beautiful poem I love from uh, Marie Howe, great American poet. What the Living Do. And it's written in to her brother, Johnny, who died of AIDS when he was 28. Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there. And the drainer won't work but smells dangerous. And the crusty dishes have piled up waiting for the plumber I still haven't called. This is the every day we spoke of. It's winter again, the sky's a deep headstrong blue and the sunlight pours through the open living room windows because the heat's on too high in here and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the street, the bag breaking, I've been thinking, this is what the living do. And yesterday, hurrying along those wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, spilling my coffee down my wrist and sleeve, I thought it again. This is it, parking, slamming the car door shut in the cold, what you called that yearning, what you finally gave up. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want whoever to call or not call, a letter, a kiss, we want more and more of it. But there are moments, walking, when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass, say the window of the corner video store, and I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep for my own blowing hair, my chapped face, an unbuttoned coat that I'm speechless. I am living. 
I remember you. So what I love about this poem is she speaks to the messiness of life, right? The clog sink, the heating she can't turn off, the cold spilling groceries, right? The messiness of life. Life is messy, complicated, challenging at times, painful often. And the the spirit, I think, in the poem is this beautiful tenaciousness that when we can simply be present with a kind heart, it allows at times, like in this moment, when she sees herself in the window store and she's gripped by a cherishing so deep for her uh, unbuttoned coat, unbrushed hair. Right? And so this, this, is a, this is always the possibility of the heart. Right? Always possible that we have this capacity to love to forgive, to be kind, to be gentle, to be fierce with the critic, to be loving towards our pain. So so I'd like to do a practice that evokes compassion, where we turn our attention towards the pain that we feel, not as a form of masochism, but as a form of um, as a form of tenderness where we learn to uh, soften into the pain that we feel and particularly the pain of the critic and as I said in my own journey that was a pivotal turning point for me when I was able to just let in wow this is really painful this you know, decades long habit of belittling and judging and putting down that um, you know I do I do believe I know this sounds like a cliche but I do believe that um, you know love is the is the most powerful healer that we have and that we all have that capacity to love and to turn to ourselves with kindness and it takes a little intention it takes a little effort it takes a little practice takes um, the courage to feel into our pain, to soften into our body, to uh, be willing to to feel the hard stuff, and then to extend uh, uh, the wish of of, um, compassion, which is, compassion is really the, the heart's responsiveness to pain in the, pain in the world, right? It's not just awareness that's aware of it. It's not just empathy which is sensing it, but it's also the responsive quality of the heart that wishes you and me and life to be free of pain. Even though we know that's an impossible task, the heart's basic goodness and wish is that we be free of pain. So, So we can nurture that in meditation. We can nurture that in our lives. And this is one practice. There's many. Tonglen is a lovely practice also. But this is, I want to just orient towards ourselves. So let's sit together. Find a comfortable posture.
and closing your eyes or lowering your gaze if you're sleepy it's more comfortable and feeling your breath bring your awareness to your heart center of your chest And if possible, to soften into, relax into your body. Let the body be soft, belly soft, heart soft and open, jaw relaxed. So now I'm going to ask you to call to mind a loved one, someone you're close to. And choosing someone who is right now going through some difficulty. Maybe a health challenge. Emotional struggle, relationship issues, money, work, challenges. They're just bringing this person to mind and feeling into their particular struggle. Compassion, compassion, to suffer with, to feel with. So really letting this person and their pain, if you can, into your heart. And then we're going to be offering, saying these phrases of compassion that is an aspirational wish, wishing this person to be free of their difficulty. So holding this person in mind, visualizing them, sensing them, and then saying silently to yourself, may you be free of pain and suffering. May you be free of pain and suffering or distress. And knowing that, you know, at times, often pain is inevitable, 
we offer a second wish. May you may you hold your pain, your struggle with kindness, with ease. May you hold your suffering with kindness and ease. Keeping this person in your heart or mind as you sense their struggle. May you be free of pain and suffering. May you hold your suffering with kindness, with ease, with care. Now turning towards yourself, reflecting on the ways that you also struggle, experience stress, pain, maybe at the hand of the critic, the pain of the body, emotional pain, relationship, struggles. Dealing with pain of racism, discrimination, injustice. So just holding that difficulty, that burden that you carry, maybe recent loss or grief. Placing your hand on your heart as a gesture of kindness and then offering yourself these phrases. May I too be free of pain and suffering. May I too be free of pain and struggle and stress, distress. May I hold myself and my distress with kindness, with ease. May I hold my pain with kindness and ease. So saying these phrases or phrases similar, slowly, meaningfully to yourself. And when the attention wanders, bring it back. 
sense into ways you may be hurting, fear, anxiety, depression, loneliness, loss, or just feeling the pain of the critic, attack on a value or deficiency or self-worth, offering ourselves this wish of kindness and compassion. May I be free of pain and suffering. May I hold myself and my pain with kindness and ease and care. whatever else you wish for yourself. And then calling to mind the person that you've been working with today, or at least one of them. Feeling the, their pain, uh, their challenge with their critic. And then offering the same wishes. May you too be free of pain and suffering, especially free from the critic. May you hold yourself with kindness and ease. And then expanding in whatever way, ever-widening circles, so much pain and struggle in the world. May all those who are suffering, particularly victimized by their critic, those who are rejecting of themselves, are not experiencing their value, their worth, their beauty, their uniqueness. May all those who are suffering in the world be free of pain. May they hold their suffering with kindness, with care. author goes like this if you could grow to your best self be patient not demanding accepting not condemning nurturing not withholding self marveling not belittling gently guiding not pushing and punishing for you are more sensitive than you know mankind is as tough as war yet delicate as flowers. 
and we can endure agonies but open fully only to warmth and light. And our need to grow is fragile as a fragrance, dispersed by storms of will, returning when the storms are still. So accept and respect, attend your sensitivity. A flower cannot be opened with a hammer. Accept, reflect, attend your sensitivity. A flower cannot be opened with a hammer. Which is kind of what the critic's trying to do. Be a good person. Okay. Trying. So I'd just like you to reflect one last thing before we go. Just to, since you've all got something to write on journals or paper or whatever, just like you to write down one intention that you're taking from this day. We've covered a lot of ground. A lot of material, some theory, some practice. What, what, what? It could be an expression of kindness or self-compassion or a commitment to really listen to the judges, listen to, to when the judging, judgments are happening. Um, or maybe committing to being an ally with yourself not being so allied with the critic. Just one, one simple thing that you can do. Or one simple um, uh, strategy that you might employ. Welcome to write more than one, but start with one. <laughs> Sometimes less is more, you know. So, any remaining comments or questions? We have a few minutes before we wrap up. Any? comments or questions about the compassion practice or anything else today. Um, yes, can we get a microphone here down by my, my left, your right? Thank you. What I wrote down was <coughs> from the second sitting where he asked us to imagine uh, how someone who loves us or appreciates us would mm-hmm. view or talk about us. Mm. And, um, you know, I've done loving kindness, self-directed loving kindness before, loving kindness toward others, combinations, but I'd never heard that specific approach. Mm-hmm. And it's what I just wrote down, and I'm really looking forward to working with that. Great. Great, yeah. Get a photo and of that person and put it somewhere. You know, we've got 10 million photos on our phones, right? And we barely know what to do with. But maybe print out 
a picture of that person that really loves and cares about you. That helps you remember, oh right, I do have these qualities that people appreciate. Really helpful. Good. Glad you're taking that away. You know, I could have led that. I was going to lead it in the same way with the compassion. You could imagine that same person looking at you with the pain that you experience and, and, and feeling their natural wish for your pain to be relieved, right? You could do the same thing with the compassion and then, and then you take it over, right? Because sometimes, again, it's hard to wish ourselves to be free of pain. We're so used to not doing that. Easy to imagine our friend. Of course, our friends want to be us to be free of pain, and our, and our loved ones. Right? And um, you know, we might wish that for ourselves, but sometimes easier to imagine that to let it in. Well, good. Thank you so much for being here today. This is a, this is a. Um, it's not an easy day to to be present for. It's a lot of icky stuff that we have to notice and be aware of and feel and talk about and I appreciate you sharing very openly with each other and supporting each other and please release this person from being your critic. They're not. They were just role playing. Um, so, um, you know, as I said, if this, if this is interesting, please read the book um, and um, do the work, right? This it only works if you practice it, right? So um, there's a bunch of orientations that I, there's lots of stuff I haven't gotten time to that I address in the book, particularly orienting to the positive, focusing on the good, taking in beauty, taking in your good qualities, reflecting on gratitude, right? There's a lot of things that we can do to shift our mind from the negative orientation to something more wholesome, right? But it takes practice and it only takes a moment, right? It takes this moment, what can I do in this moment that, that can incline my heart in, in a more wholesome direction? We can all do this. It just you know, takes intention, takes time. And um, yeah, so I'll be back here Monday night, as Romy said. I'll be teaching about something. I don't know what yet, but I'll be surprised as you will be when I show up and it'll come out. Um, I'm going to leave you with one last poem. This is a poem that I wrote. I, I uh, have a CD a poem somewhere. It's called Coming Out. Hibiscus flowers unwind from cloisters and corking in a flagrant display, anthers unabashed protruding sex to the sky while petals of silk fan out to catch the sun's glance and passing bees. Could I emerge from the shadows with that abandon, not cower from the shackles of the past, from old voices telling me to hide my light, conceal my wonders, be seen but not heard, which is to be invisible in the quiet death. Is there anything in this feathered, furry, leafy, winged world that hasn't pride in its magnificence or hides its gifts to the heavens? And so I ask, what light have you kept under some bushel, making this world and yourself a poorer place? So may, you, um, may this work support you in bringing your beautiful, unique selves out and to learn to fully cherish and appreciate yourselves and to be free from your inner critic. Thank you.
Okay, be well. I left out two, two announcements. Uh, CE people, please sign out. And I left an email sign-up sheet if you want to know about my work here and elsewhere. You can be on my email list. Thank you. And if you work at Google, I'm giving a book talk at Google on Monday in SF. Oh, SF. Yes, you're welcome. Good luck. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.